This is episode 153, Hotshot Scott. And when I say this <laughs> is episode 153, it makes you think of Jeopardy. It always does, yes. And I had it on my notes like the last two shows to ask you. It seems as if they've decided on a on a replacement, right? The 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 future of Jeopardy is in the hands of whom? Mike Richards. I never they had all these celebrity guys. Aaron Rodgers yeah. wanted it. LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton them. wanted it. Anderson <laughs> Cooper wanted it. This guy, Sanjay something or other, wanted it. LeVar Burton really wanted it. I think they all really wanted it. What wasn't Aaron Rodgers gonna give up his NFL career? No, he wasn't no, gonna I give don't up his know. NFL He'd career. probably make a little more. So the who's NFL. the guy they chose, by the way? Well, I think he's a longtime he's a longtime producer at Jeopardy. But I think he has a little bit of on-camera experience. He hosted some. I I, I saw the story and I was like, no, I'm not going to put it in my notes. I don't think Mitch is going to ask. This about is it. so anticlimactic. <laughs> I should have done it. I know. They really had all it is. of these huge stories. Everybody's wondering who's going to get it. Which one of these big names? Right. Get? And then they hired. They could have hired this guy before. They went through this whole thing. They didn't have to go through this whole thing. No, it, they definitely didn't. Did they really consider? You think that they really considered the trials of all these no. people, or do they know from the get-go this guy Mike Richards is going to be the guy? But we'll pretend for the world that we're taking a look at all these different candidates. I think they had Mike Richards in mind the whole time. The whole time. I don't think they were ever serious about anybody, but they needed to fill time and they needed to create, you know, they needed to film shows. They need to host. So let's do it. Let's well, they could have had him do it if he's so good. This was all yeah, a publicity I stunt. I, I, I Having think these was. celebrity guest hosts with all the publicity. Did it stunt? work? Were we talking about freaking Jeopardy? Well, if he's <laughs> pissed everybody off, by the way, now by hiring just the guy that was there the whole time, that was under their nose the whole time. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but when I, I saw know. I, I saw know. Richards, I thought, it wasn't Michael Richards on Seinfeld? Kramer. Yeah. Okay. I thought yeah. it, when I saw Mike. Cosmo Kramer. Yeah. I saw Mike Kramer. I'm like, boy, he landed on his think feet. Of, think of it. <laughs> Think a different guy. Who said, who said he wouldn't work again? I think a little bit of a different guy. Yeah, I think so, too. All right, so this is episode 153. We are taking kind of sort of the next week off to get ready for the NFL season. Yep. So there will be no peace show this Wednesday. Why? Because I'm getting back on a plane. Boy, world traveler. I'm getting back on a plane, but this one's a special one. I haven't seen my mom since the beginning of 2020. And she's turning 87 years old on August the 14th. So I get to be with my mom in Florida. That's awesome. I was going to call it my home. Am I, am I allowed to call it my home state? Is yeah. it not my home state? After, after reading Is this, I've lived here a lot longer than I live there. A lot longer? Well, I lived there 18 years. Then I went to Syracuse. Then I moved to Washington. And now I'm here 25, oh, 26 wow. years. So I've lived here like eight. That's like, weird. Yeah. And yet. But after reading. Isn't it always where you were born and raised? No. Yes. I no. think it is. I mean, those are your formative years, one, zero through eighteen. Zero through eighteen. That I mean, that that turned you into a Florida man. That year three. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's that's where it all went. When down, I Bill. got eaten by that alligator <laughs> and then he spit me out and let me live. <laughs> right. It was a hell of a thing. That's right. Well, congrats. I'm happy you get to see your mom. I I'm know really, you guys are close really, and... really happy to to be with her for a just a few days before the NFL season really hits and we start our big thing, which which brings me to the next point. Available on ma all major podcast apps, these shows. Please, please, please subscribe. Submit a rating and review, hopefully five stars. You can do so anywhere where you can find uh, podcasts. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. We do come football oh, season yeah. for $5 a month. You get lots of other shows during the course of the week. It's not just the Monday show. 
We do the peace shows on Wednesday night for Thursday. We do the Seahawks no table shows. We do the fantasy football shows. We do the Mr. Playoff shows. Randy Mueller has signed on to be a, oh, really? a regular contributor to Mitch Unfiltered. Nice. You do the you do the music show. Where is the mu- Where are the music shows? Yeah, the, the, I think I might have bitten a little bitten off more than I could chew at this one. <laughs> this is going to be a lot of work. Is this one any more work than the rest of the ones you it do? It feels like it is. Why? Well, do you really do want I me know? to explain? It's kind of it's convoluted. I don't think you're. I, I Anybody like going to be interested in this explanation? I think I've already lost you. Is what I'm feeling. No, in you this conversation. <laughs> when did you release the uh, Lionel Richie one? Uh, that was probably a month ago. Okay. I, uh, ju- er, early July. So my, my point why is, are some of them more complicated than others? Well, some of them are like Phil Collins was just cutting. He was a top forty hit machine. Yes. So you just could look at his discography. This was yes. number twelve. Boom. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. just kind of easy. Yeah. This next person I'm doing is the lead singer of a band who had great album sales success early, but could not buy a top 40 hit. So they would sell 3 million copies of an album, but they'd have no top, no airplay. How, no. how, do, how do they determine what's a top 40 hit? Well, on the, on the Billboard US Hot 100. Right, but how does it get oh, on the Billboard? It's record sales, it's radio airplay. Well, if he's selling millions and millions of records, why doesn't he have a top 40 <clears throat> But it also spins on the radio. That, that oh, counts too. Yeah. And then they went to SoundScan, that system where, you know. This sounds like I'm not going to like this choice of, of, of features. I, he was the lead singer of a hard rock band. Oh. I mean, you're going to know again. You're going to know 10 songs. But, I am. I so, am. So my dilemma is... Is that if I just go with the, I always let the top 40 be the judge and jury because I, I, I don't want to play what songs I like. I just, the, the people have spoken, right? It is what it is. Right. But he has no top 40 songs. That's the problem. Well, he has some, but early on, they don't have hardly any. And the ones they do have are stupid covers that are awful. But that first album is literally a perfect album. It's, every track is good. So I've decided I, I can't just skip Is it on him or is it on the, on the group? It's on him, but of course he's in a group. It's like, like because I, I don't do. understand why you take Paul Stanley and just do it about Paul Stanley, not the rest of the members of KISS. I haven't done that yet. Oh, I thought that's what you were talking about. It's definitely not. <laughs> Any other guesses? I don't even. I, I can't even get. Forget getting it right. I don't even. I don't even know who to guess. For instance, if I did somebody wanna, else listening right now is playing, I know exactly who it is. I no, think I, so. I don't have any idea. So, like for instance, Led Zeppelin didn't really have that many top forty hits. They wouldn't yeah. really like Stairway to Heaven was not a top forty hit, the most popular song of all time. So, if I did one on Robert Plant and didn't talk about Stairway okay. to Heaven, it would be weird. All right, let me ask it to you this way. Yes. If you said to me, Mitch. Who's the lead singer of blank of this mm-hmm. group? Would I know the lead Would I be able to identify the name and come up with the name of the lead singer of this group? They've had more than one, and I think you could get the first two. Well, the guy that you're profiling is, is one of those guys. He was the first one. Can I come up with yes. his name? Yes. Megastar. You, you think that if you, if you said here... Mitch, who's the lead singer of Blank? I would immediately give you his name. I think there he, aren't many lead singers I know. I'm just telling you right now. I I would bet on you getting it. Okay. I mean, if you ever okay. watched MTV in the '80s, I don't I know. I did. It, it, it was hard to not. Whenever know Quinn, this band. Quinn was on. Oh, Martha Quinn. Oh, you like little Martha <laughs> Quinn, did you? <laughs> anyway, I'm still working on it. It'll come out. Everybody. Okay. For five dollars a month, you can become a Mitch Unfiltered patron. You get all the rest of the stuff that we do each week, and during football season, it is substantial. Yeah, there is. I don't want to say there's some there's some sniffing, there's some rumblings, there's some rumors that somebody could be joining on a regular basis. The staff of Mitch Unfiltered, the staff. Yeah, the on air. Okay, as a regular on air contributor that you might people in this audience will recognize him and his name just during football. 
maybe starting during football, maybe going on, uh, you know, just kind of taking as it goes. Well, you did mention someone else who signed on. It's not that person? It's not Randy Mueller. Randy okay. Mueller signed on, the former I GM. maybe you forgot you said that. No. <laughs> it's somebody else? Somebody else. Wow, that's great. Somebody else that right. everybody wants to, a lot of people want to hear from. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder that's what that feels say. like. That <laughs> must be nice. <laughs> MitchUnfiltered.com. Become a patron for $5 a month to get all the extra shows. All right. Uh, you want a couple of letters before we start because we're just warming up for episode 153 Let's and I'll tell it. you who the guests are. Dear Mitch, I meant to send you this note a couple of weeks ago, but it slipped my mind due to the fact that I mostly work from home. I usually only listen to your pod during my daily jogs. Okay. How long do you think his daily jog is? I don't is? know. 45 minutes, an hour. It's going to take you three daily jogs to listen to episode 153. Yeah, we'd like back- to inspire people to exercise. Backstory. Like I'm glad he's giving me <laughs> backstories. For eight and nine years, I played softball in the Issaquah Softball League. Ooh. One of my teammates was Jimmy Wink Shapiro. Familiar with him. I got to know him decently well over the years and definitely learned what makes him snap. Oh, boy. That brings me to a couple of weeks ago. I was on my run when you and Scott were talking about the Richard Sherman story and the anger when Scott was talking about how we all know people who have seen red. I think you said we all have seen red. I feel like most people have at least I have flipped se- oh, out. Oh, I have flipped out. I've been there too. Yeah. One of you guys can't remember who immediately mentioned Wink. <laughs> Didn't we really? I don't remember mentioning him, but okay. That threw off my run for a minute because I was dying laughing. <laughs> Not only because you guys mentioned him immediately, but I was also thinking about what his reaction to hearing about this would be. You guys have nailed his personality per- perfectly. <laughs> Most people would laugh that they were mentioned in this sort of regard on the pod, but I'm sure it is festering in him if he heard it, and that cracks me up. I don't. What, what's festering? I, that, it bothers him that it would really bother Wink to hear us talk about oh. me seeing red over Wink or whatever. Oh, gotcha. Okay, yeah, okay. I but I, I want to know what it is that sets him off. I mean, he lives in my neighborhood. I want to try it. You know what sets him off. <laughs> well, I don't know. He worked with you on, on your show. Didn't oh. Fish choke him in a parking lot I at the Super so. Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> we know what sets Fish off. <laughs> all in all, I think Jimmy's a good person, but man, he's the definition of short man syndrome. Oh, boy. Keep up the good work. Loyal patron Dave. He, oh, Dave. Dave. He was probably doing okay. Thank you, Dave. Wink was probably doing okay until he heard the short man comment. Now he's like, what the hell? Where did that come from? Yeah. And believe me, he'll know who Dave is. And Wink had something going on with the hair. He was not. He, 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 Good <laughs> God. I cannot go there. Well, listen. He was sensey poo about his hair. Was he having hair loss back in the day? He was. Yes. But I, I swear to you. Was he spray painting up there or doing no, something? He was doing like Rogaine. Uh-huh. And I think it actually worked on him. Oh. I think he has more hair now than he did in like 98. What's it down to his shoulders? Yeah, it's not. It's like Fabio now? But you would think, because yeah, he was losing it and he was really sensitive about Very it. Very sensitive. And you'd think 20 years later, Very he'd be sensitive. bald. But I think he has more. I think he's one of the customers that can like do ads for him. <laughs> it actually worked, Rogaine or whatever he used. Michael Black writes, bitch. I, I think he what? meant Mitch. I just was thinking I'm so sick and tired of Northwest Sports in Seattle towing the company line for local sports teams. Have you thought of more of the days of the podcast adding talented people that worked for you at KJR? The list is long, and for me, they were the best. Woodard, I think it's Woodward. I think so, too. Slickhawk, Sandmeyer, Fish. I'm not sure if any of these people are doing anything, but my friends and I are sick of fake sports radio, Mitch. Just a thought, but it's a damn good one. (laughs) If he doesn't say so himself. Michael Black. So, Michael Black wants me to hire and have on the podcast all of the old people that were now, yeah, that are now no longer in sports radio. The Elise Woodwards of the world. The Elise Woodwards, the Slickhawks, the Sandmeyers, the Fishes. 
Yeah. What's fake sports radio? Help me understand that. What does he mean? I don't. I don't know for sure. You'd have to ask Michael Black. But my <laughs> guess from his first line is, is that fake sports radio is sports radio that's not critical enough of the local teams. Oh, did you that hear that like. when you were doing your show there? I, I yeah. feel like that was kind of a common thing. Like you're afraid to rip the Huskies because you carry them, or was that? I don't know that I. I, I Maybe not you, but I feel like that was kind of a thing. Sure, sure. That you're afraid yeah, to rip the team yeah, that, yeah. which was great when we worked at sports radio early on because we didn't have the rights to the Mariners or the Seahawks. So we didn't have to be loyal to anyone. We but, just go after no, them. No, but even even when you don't have the rights to the teams, yeah. if you're counting on the teams to provide you with interviews, guests. Oh, I see. You know, There's a get, balance, I guess. Oh, there they get pissed off at you. If they don't like what you say, you're overly critical, then you don't get guests. Okay. And then the other shows don't get guests, and they're pissed off at the other show because uh, they said something that caused <laughs> Mitch them ruined guests. it for everybody. Mitch ruined it for everybody <laughs> gotcha. else. So, okay. Yeah, I don't know. Fine. Fake yeah. sports radio. Fake I don't sports know what radio. Is, okay. Have some of those guys on. It's a thought, but a damn good one. <laughs> Episode 153, our guests on this show, Seahawks no table time. We have, uh, we have not. We've nice. resisted. But we're not resisting any longer. Joe Fan, Brady Henderson, myself will throw around the Seahawks training camp storylines. Warren Sharp is kind of the king of NFL advanced stats and metric analysis. He's been a consultant to a lot of NFL teams as they continue to ramp up and look at numbers and okay. heavy-duty statistical analysis. He does an NFL preview book that's crazy. If you're into data analysis in the right. NFL, he'll join us and tell us all about why the Seahawks have struggled the last couple of years to go deep in the playoffs and what they need to do this year oh. to do better to get into the uh, into the NFL, you know, the NFC Championship game and the and the Super Bowl. Dr. Rebecca Businich will also be with us. Mental health expert, St. Catherine University, St. Paul. Lots to say about Naomi Osaka and Simone okay. Biles and the impact of these two women. Their public acknowledgement of their issues. Yeah. What will that? What kind of a trickle down effect will that have, if, if any, to the rest of the world? What did she say about the a holes that were booing them and calling them fakers? She had plenty to say oh, about she that. Did. Too. Okay. Yeah, I asked her about them. Oh, good. Well, not necessarily the fakers, but the ones that got mad at like, like producer Steve got mad that Naomi Osaka, after she withdrew from the French Open and Wimbledon because she was having these mental issues yeah. and this stress and anxiety to face the media, she then did magazine covers On and did the Netflix thing, special yeah, okay. and whatever. People were mad at her about that. All right. I did, I did ask our expert about good. that. I can't wait to hear what yeah. she says. So episode 153, Hot Shot, brought to you by my friends at Zeke's Pizza from Tacoma to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest. The best craft beer selection you're going to find anywhere. You can have your favorite beer, pizza, salads delivered to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. Daniel's Broiler still wants you. Hiring across the board, from busboys to waiters to hostesses to bartenders, full-time, part-time. My son buses tables in Bellevue. If you or someone you know is looking for a job, danielsbroiler.com, or just stop in to any of the locations. Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses just ordered a brand new outdoor fireplace unit from john waterstrat and fireside home solutions they were over on friday making perfectly sure that everything will be perfect firesidehomesolutions.com jordan flowers and his team is now the official kirkland home of cross-country mortgage offering the best refinance rates on your home how much can you save every month a seven-minute call, 
2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. We thank our partners. It's episode 153, and it starts right now. Unfiltered. The Seahawks are catching one of the great breaks. They got to go on the road in week one, which is hard to do. Week yeah. one, everybody's excited, especially this year when the fans oh, all come back now right. after a year. So everybody's going to, everybody's first road game is going to be a really, really difficult game. Yeah. Even more difficult than a typical road NFL. The Seahawks' first road game is in Indianapolis, where they'll probably be without their quarterback, without their left guard, and without their left tackle. Unfiltered. Your buddy, my buddy, Chris Paul. 36-year-old Chris Paul declined a player option. He had a player option. All he had to do was say yay, and he would be paid $44 million next year. Yeah, that, that, that won't be sufficient. We're going to need a little, little more. We're going we're, we're gonna to pass on that. Right. When, when, wouldn't it be nice uh, for you to be able to pass on a $44 million one-year contract? Uh, yeah, that would be nice. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 153, Hot Shot Scott is now officially underway. I want to give you a quick a quick box score from Brianna Stewart, who won the gold medal. Yes. 14 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, four steals, and three blocks in a gold medal game. Mm, that's, that's kind of a Daryl Walker triple-double. Was like, it a triple-double? Did you say 14 points, 14 rebounds? What, how many? No, assists? it's not a triple-double. It's double-double. Double-double. Yeah, 14 yeah. points, but 14 she's rebounds. She's got to score more than 14 points, though. Well, her teammate she's scored really 28. She's cracked up to be. <laughs> that's right. She's a hack. Her, uh, Brittany Griner, who's 6'9". Yeah. And, and the, the starting yeah. center for Failer. Japan was 6'1". I mean, it was just feed the post, feed the post. Feed How'd the Japan post. make it to the final game? It's crazy. They're like the globetrotters. They just fly around fast and quick, and they're just really? a well-oiled machine. But they had no answer for Brittany Griner, so she's dropped you, like you, 30 you, on them. You pay attention to women's basketball. Well, I, I started to because I watched the Storm a lot because Seattle doesn't have a team, an NBA team, and I love basketball. It was hard for me to watch the NBA. And then I had a daughter, and she started playing basketball, and that's yeah. when it kind of ramped See, up. See, I think it's the, the flip of that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I always... I, I mean, wonder if you had sons, whether you would be here being able to tell us all about the, the WNBA Seattle Storm yeah. and would have watched the the Olympics, the women in the Olympics. I'm not saying you wouldn't watch. Like, I watch if it's on. I, I don't search it out. I don't yeah. search the Storm out. I'm a very casual observer of the Storm and women's basketball in general. But I think if I had daughters who played... I think that would change everything. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I was at I the 2004 championship game. Yeah. I got free tickets. But I was there as a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Stephen Kilbreth. Oh. But no, I've, I've, always, I've always enjoyed watching them. It's hard for me to watch the NBA still because my team got jacked out from underneath me. So I think I've moved on to the So WNBA. the men and the women. Congratulations. Yes, to both. Right. We, we swept, right? Yep. The men beat like France by like six or seven. Yeah, struggled with them. But the, <laughs> plenty to say about that. France has seven NBA players. It's not, you know. Yeah, they've got seven scrubs of NBA okay, players. Okay, fine. I mean, Gobert is a pretty good player. Rudy Gobert? Yeah. Yeah, he's a good defensive player. Yeah. By the, was Matisse Thibel on the Australian team? I don't know. Did we completely miss that? I feel oh, like I saw a highlight with him. Believe me, it wouldn't be the first thing we missed. <laughs> okay, fine. Fair enough. Now, what I did watch, did you watch Steve Hutchinson's speech? 
Steve Hutchinson poison pill. Steve Hutchinson oh, yeah. was inducted into the Football Hall oh, of Fame. I forgot about One that. One of the greatest guards in NFL history. Oh. He didn't have to wait long out of the University of Michigan. I can tell you that I was in the room. I was in the draft war room for the Seattle Seahawks, believe it or not. Why don't you try that this year and see what happens? Mike Mike Holmgren called me on the Thursday or Friday before the draft that year, and he said, how would you like to join me in the room? I want you to come in the room. Wow. And I was like, yeah. That's awesome. This is like unbelievable. Every every, every fan in the world would like to do it. He he wasn't asking your opinion. No, no. My on draft opinion. picks. No. <laughs> he just wanted to know if I wanted to be. And I go in the room. That's and, cool. And the front, you got the front table with him and Paul Allen. I remember Paul Allen was eating a turkey sandwich. Really? Yeah, he had a little had a little mayo on the side of his mouth. Did he talk to you at they, all? No, he, I think he said hello, but but Holmgren was talking to me the whole time. Okay. And they were trying. I w- that was the year. I was only in there once. It was the year that they chose Corin Robinson. Receiver. Out of North Carolina State. And okay. then later in the first round. Falling all the way to, they had no interest. Uh, he just was the highest guy on their board. I, it was late in the first round that Steve Hutchinson out of the University of Michigan was huh. available. They grabbed him and <sighs> worked out. Snap of a fingers, and he's being he's being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Where do the years go? Right, right. I, right. I love. They want. I can tell you. I can tell you. I can tell you now. I wasn't allowed to say some of these things back then. They wanted Richard Seymour. Do you remember Richard Seymour? No. Kind of a Hall of Famish. New England Patriot defensive tackle, like okay. forever. Oh, in the, yeah, it in sounds the familiar. He was out of the University of Georgia. They wanted to pick him. They actually had – what did you tell me? That that, that uh, Corin Robinson was picked which which number? Ninth. Okay, so they had the seventh pick. Okay. Seattle had the seventh pick, and they wanted Richard Seymour, and he was taken right before them. That's when a little of the mayo came out of uh, Paul <laughs> Allen's mouth. And, Stirring and, tribute and, to the and, man. And, <laughs> And so they, they, when they couldn't get Richard Seymour at seven, then they were looking at the receivers, David Terrell out of Michigan and Corn Robinson, and he decided, I watched the whole thing happen. He's working the phones. Yeah. He traded down from seven to nine, and then Terrell was taken by one of the teams, and then he took Corn Robinson, and later they took, uh, they took Steve Hutchinson, who became one of the greatest. Well, how about that whole offensive line? I mean, the, during that 2000, was it, it was, 2005? It was really good. Can you Ooh. name them? You can name them all, right? I think so. Uh, Chris well, it was 2003. Gray. Chris Gray was the one that's the hardest one. He was the he was the right guard. He's the one okay. that's hardest to, but that to right, remember. That right tackle, I feel like had Sean a, Sean Locklear. Big holding penalty. Huge yeah. holding call that wasn't really a hold. And then yes. Tobeck was he the center? Tobeck was the center. He presented Hutch. Oh, he did in the Hall of Fame deal. And okay. then you know that Hutchinson was the guard and, and Walt. Walt. Yeah. And that's probably the best left side of an offensive line in the history of the NFL when you think about it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you might be. But right. But he didn't play his whole career. No, he didn't. Here in Seattle. Yeah, that was And I was very curious watching the induction speech. He's a very smart, articulate, and eloquent man. For a For a lineman? Oh, oh, he is a real... He's a Michigan guy. (laughs) Okay. And he's a South Florida, Fort Lauderdale guy. Really? Uh, But um, he's a really kind of well-thought, a very, very articulate guy. And I was very interested to see how he was going to handle, whether he was going to go back there and talk about his lead. And the only thing that he said was when he was thanking Mike Holmgren during his speech the other day, he said, I know I didn't leave there with us on the best of terms, Mm -hmm. but I'm glad we became friendly over the years since. And I think back to that, you remember how it worked. I, I remember so many little things about that whole Steve Hutchinson leaving. You yeah. remember, you know what his you know what his last game was as a Seattle Seahawk? I don't. You should. Okay. 
The last game that he put on a Seattle Seahawks uniform was in the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers. That was the last one? Last one. And the reason I remember that is wow, I, was I, was at, I was at that Super Bowl. Yeah, I was doing I. Radio Row. And I remember that after our morning show was over, NFL Network was doing all of their shows from where we were doing our shows. Okay. And they had this big thing like on a Wednesday or Thursday where they had Sean Alexander and they had Steve Hutchinson. They all came in. This is in the days leading up to the Super Bowl, okay. which was a big thing to have the have the players. They came in. They sat on this panel. They did a live show, a huge live show on the NFL Network. And I remember whoever the host of the NFL Network was. I want to say it was Chris Rose, but I'm not. I'm not sure. Okay. He had like Hasselbeck, Alexander, and Steve Hutchinson. Wow. And. And Alexander was going to be a free agent at the end of the year. After that Super Bowl, Sean Alexander was going to be a free agent, was looking at free agency. And he asked, he asked Sean Alexander, they were joking with Sean Alexander about his impending free agency. And Steve Hutchinson was just sitting there and I was looking at Steve Hutchinson. They, they, I don't even think they knew that Steve Hutchinson was going to be a free agent. I don't think everything was so much about Sean Alexander. They weren't huh. even thinking about that the left guard, that the, the, the all pro left guard yeah. is also going to be a free agent. And he sat with his arms folded, never said a word. And that was the last game he ever, I believe that was the last game he ever played for the Seattle Seahawks. Because as you recall, what happened? Do you remember what happened? Yeah, I, I was, I wasn't doing a sports show. I wasn't on sports radio like oh. you. I was doing the cockamamie oh. T-man show. But I remember hearing poison pill oh. and kind of a tricky contract oh. and someone got kind of screwed over so, and. I mean, Help this, me understand this. Well, Mike Holmgren was the coach, but he was no longer the general manager. Okay, because he did both for a while. And then he was asked to, to give up his general manager duties, yeah. which he did. And I think Bob Ferguson came in, and then a guy by the name of Tim Ruskell. Does that mean a name anything to you? Yes. Tim Ruskell, one of the worst general managers in the history. Yeah. And there's a, actually a, a, a hysterical story about that okay. that Mike Holmgren once told me. <laughs> I'll right. tell you that in a second. But... What happened was he was a free agent in those days like today. You can franchise your your players and you can transition your players and do all that stuff. And they decided after not being able to come up with a a deal with him that they would franchise him. Okay. Which made it virtually impossible for anybody to come in and steal him away. Almost impossible. Two first-round draft choices, you have the right to match, all that. When you franchise a guy, it's almost impossible to take, even though it's it's happened before. And it sometimes pisses players off because – they don't want to be franchised because they want to go out and get a bigger deal somewhere, right? Right, or they want you to give them a bigger deal. Right, but, they, okay. but it's, the, it's the price of doing business. Okay. Franchises happen still to this day, happen all the time. All right. And I believe that Mike Holmgren, Mike Holmgren and Tim Ruskell decided to franchise him, and I think Mike Holmgren got on a plane to go to the Combine in Indianapolis okay. to go look at all the draft choices, yeah, possibilities. Yeah. And when he got off of the plane in Indianapolis and he got to the place, John Clayton ran up to him and said, Coach, can I get a comment about your decision to transition? Oh. Transition Steve Hutchinson. And he looked at him. John, we, French, you mean franchise. Right. right? He says, no. <laughs> Mike Holmgren found out. Oh, man. That they decided not to franchise Steve Hutchinson from John Clayton. That hurts. Clayton was the one who broke the news. He didn't even find out from Ruskell. Ruskell changed the whole thing. What? Never told. Holmgren was in the air flying and never told. And apparently, like, you want to see red? You want to talk about seeing (laughs) red? Exactly. Mike Holmgren, like, 
was about to implode. Sure. Like, what, what do you what, what do you mean? He said, you guys, and Clayton's like, you, you transitioned him. Yeah. You, you essentially exposed him to the market. That's when he went, I'll never forget it, seven years, $49 million, and some clauses that made it impossible for Seattle to match. Like, where he lived, how far, how close to the, I mean, it was just crazy Insane stuff, things, poison yeah. pills yeah, that yeah. made it impossible for the Seahawks to, to match. Oh. And then they went to arbitration and the guy from the University of Pennsylvania to see whether it was fair, whether the whether what he the, the, the contract that he signed with the Vikings was fair because it was impossible for the Seattle Seahawks to match and they ruled that it was fair and that was the end. And then the Seahawks turned around and gave uh, the wide receiver, Nate Burleson from Minnesota, this huge contract to come from Minnesota right. to the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. That's right. That's, that's, the, the, oh, that's in the crazy. nutshell. Yeah, they were put, yeah, that's right. They were putting... Some pretty insane stuff. Like impossible, like literally, unless the Seahawks were in Minnesota, right. they couldn't match. That's right. Right. Yeah. Right. God. And, and then that, he didn't they change the rule because of that I think contract? they changed a little bit of the rule, but then he put he got his Twitter handle was poison pill seventy six. He uh, was like he was for a while he was tossing that back in our face. Like leaning which into made it. me hate him. Yeah. Made me hate him. I mean, I don't mind I mean, no again, we've gone through this a billion times. Do you ever mind when a guy goes out and gets more money? Right. Like A-Rod, people like, think is the biggest villain ever. Because we all would have done the same right. thing. The yeah. poison pill stuff, I don't know. And did right. he have to, I mean, could he have not just signed a legitimate seven-year, $49 million contract and given the Seahawks the right to match, I think, which they would have done. Yeah. And then he would have come, come back and he would have played next to Walter Jones, oh. and earned the seven years $49 million here as opposed to there. But it, ne it never happened. Now, what, what was Ruskell's deal? What was oh, his explanation God. for what happened? Did oh. he ever have one? Oh, or Whatever it was, I don't remember. Okay. I mean, there was no defending it once he got away. Okay. There was zero defense of <laughs> right. it once he got away. But I'm wondering, what, what They had the best left side of an offensive line. They could have had it from the day, from the beginning to the end. Think about that. I know. And you had a pretty good running back. They let him walk away. Yeah, you had a pretty good running back. Right. They let him walk away. Crazy. How was Hutch? Was he sweating up there? I feel like the NFL induction ceremonies is just old guys sweating the no, whole time. No, he was good. He was good. I wish he would have gotten into it a little bit. I think he talked more about the Seahawks, his time with the Seahawks, than he did. And he had, as I said, um, the center. What's the center's oh, yeah. name? Uh, Gray? Uh, oh, no, Tobek. Tobek. Robbie Tobek introduced him. And so nice. there was more about the Seahawks than there were. There were I think he played one more year with Minnesota. Than he actually did here in Seattle. Okay, but yeah, should have never gotten away. Nope, never. I mean, should've who never? Who knows away. what? After the Pittsburgh uh, Super Bowl, you're like, oh, we'll just we'll be back the next year. And, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know how that feels. You definitely know how that feels as a Dolphin Dan fan. Marino fan. <laughs> right. He's going to get there every year. That's right. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. And speaking of former Seahawks, uh, before we finish the first segment, and I've got a million little fun things to do in this in the last segment with you and the other stuff. I know that you do too after our three interviews. But I, I have to say that I read, and I know that you did too, the Seattle Times article. Did everybody read the Seattle Times article, the follow-up story on Richard Sherman that uh, Patrick Malone did in the yeah. Seattle Times about his where he was mentally in December of 2020 and January of 20? Did you read that? Yeah, he bought How the gun on my birthday, coincidentally, January 22nd. So that did? stands out to me, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know super, about that. Super, super sad yeah. and scary story. Whether you like Sherman or not, it's becoming very, very clear yeah. that we're lucky to have Richard Sherman still alive yeah. and well, or somewhat well. Let's put it that way. I didn't know about that that law that was enacted in 2016, I want to say. About having to wait for a gun or... Well, I, I knew there was a 10-day period, but I didn't know that you could then intervene 
and say, no, 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 that, stop. Do not right. sell this person a gun. Right. That was fascinating to me. Right. I did, I didn't well, the that. whole article was like, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, maybe you sensed a little of this, but if you didn't read the article, uh, and he did a very good job, Patrick Malone, they kind of re- retraced his steps through December and January. Again, I'll ask the question, do we need to know all this? Right. Is this our business? But King County got what they called an extreme risk protection order so that they could go to the Sherman household and take all the weapons. He had four or five uh, weapons, and they were removed from his from his um, grasp yep. by this order, this, this ex- extreme risk protection order, and an intervention by his family. He had... He had threatened on a number of different occasions to kill himself yeah, because he was in so much pain, so much deep emotional pain. And then on December the 22nd of 2020 in Kent, he went and tried to buy uh, another gun. He had to wait until February 6th. He told his wife that he was going to take his life and end the pain and suffering. Bring the pain with him, I think you said. Bring the pain with him. The detectives kind of intervened. And they went to the owner of the Kent shop and said, "Hey, please don't sell, don't don't sell this man the gun." Yeah. Uh, and the owner of the shop said, "I won't," and they refunded his money, and he refused to sell Sherman the gun. But this whole story that's that's in the Seattle Times, if you haven't read it. I mean, it just it. Pay, and I'm no doctor, and I don't want to play one on on a podcast. But boy, this has CTE written all over it, yep. doesn't it? First thing I thought of. And he's young too. To have, I mean, thirty-three. Not even finished. Uh, kind of not even finished right. playing football yet. Right. And just really, really in a bad, bad place the last several months, and who knows, maybe years, and and suicidal, and all these different things. And I just, you know, I read that article, and I, I'm not, a, as I said, I'm not a huge Richard Sherman fan, but my goodness, yeah. God, it's 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 hard to have your heart not bleed for that family and him yep. that he is struggling internally so much, mentally speaking that this is where he was in his life and where he might still be in his life. It kind of it kind of made that rage at his in-laws house it sort of made sense a little it bit makes to me complete when I sense. saw it. yeah. Cuz that was some crazy rage he had at his in-laws house. Like there was something behind that. I mean, that was so when you read this it's kind of like okay, you sort of see maybe where that's coming from. He's in so much pain. I I really hope that he can get some help. Yeah. I I don't know that I I don't know what what, what the ending on this is. I don't. I don't know. I where hope they, he forgets football and just tries to get right. I don't I, know. How do you get right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you said we're not doctors. I, there's a there's medicine. You don't have to live like this. There's people who can help you, and I hope he finds them. And I just hope he, really, really sad and yeah. scary for me to read this article in the Seattle Times about Richard Sherman. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll cheer up. We'll lighten up the load here. Oh yeah. Let's get some uh, some interviews in here, and then you and I both have them. We're gonna have to do rapid fire because okay. I've got a lot to get to <laughs> before I go visit my mom on her 87th birthday. All okay? right. All right. So listen, Dan Black is the president of Zeke's Pizza, I think with 19 locations, I can't keep track, Tacoma, north to Bellingham, and more are coming. Dan, the footprint of Zeke's Pizza widens. Yeah, I can't keep track either. We're either at 19 or 20. We'll have to look on the website. But yeah, more coming too. Uh, Seward Park, White Center, and we're working on a deal in Spokane, so keep your fingers crossed on that. That would be a nice extension east, obviously. The last few times that you and I visited, I've been meaning to mention, with the Northwest 
Northwest-style pizza and beer selection getting all the spotlight at your places. I think the Levy family thinks that the chopped salad is underrated. We were at the Issaquah Highlands location the other day, my son and I, and we agreed that we could do on a visit to Zeke's a large chop split amongst the two of us. Does it do well? Yeah, the chop's one of our most popular salad, and, and the Black family and the president of Zeke's both agree with you <laughs> on the salads. Um, you know, again, like you say, they don't get a lot of attention, but they're awesome. And we have people that are just, they come to Zeke's for the salads. And the chop in particular, you know, substantial. It's got salami on it, a lot of different toppings. And uh, that one's definitely shareable and it's substantial on its own. And so, yeah, definitely agree. The beer lineup is always a talking point for Zeke's. We know that. I understand there's another one being added to the list. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, we make a lot of beers every year with a lot of different brewing partners. Any given year, we'll release 9 to 12 on a seasonal basis. They come in and out over a three-month period. Every once in a while, we release one or land on one that when we take it off the list, people rebel. <laughs> and so we had one of those last year called Lateral A IPA uh-huh. uh, with our partner in Single Hill out of Yakima. Anyway, people went crazy when that one left, and so we now have it on the permanent lineup, so you can now get cans of Lateral A anytime at Zeke's. Man, Zeke's Pizza is going strong. Don't forget to download the Zeke's Pizza app or Zeke'sPizza.com and have some great pizza and beer and salads delivered right to your door. Go to one of the 19, 20, 23, 30, 40 locations. <laughs> Zeke's Pizza's homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Right now, everything is about effort, you know, on all across the board, and particularly on, on defense chasing the football. We're trying to build the habits, you know, and, and, and embed those kinds of habits that will last through the season. But it's still something that you never can, can feel like you got it, you know. Chasing the football and all that effort that it takes to be special. We're trying to develop that right now. We held out long enough. It's the first Seahawks no table, ladies and gentlemen. Mitch Unfiltered. Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. Joe Fan, free agent, former NBC Sports Northwest Seahawks guru and future PGA Champions Major Championship winner. Boys, welcome back to Mitch Unfiltered. How are we doing, Joe? Yeah, we're doing great. It's great to be back and see your guys' uh, smiling faces over Zoom and, and chat here on the podcast. Brady, tell us something about Brady Henderson that none of our listeners know that probably none of our listeners would care. Give us something about Brady. Okay, so it sounds like you're looking for something trivial. And uh, the one thing that came to mind (laughs) was that I am very particular about how I fold my clothes. It's got to be done... An exact way. So, and so, some, so I don't have a like a laundry. I don't have a washer dryer on my boat. So I go and do my laundry a lot of times up at this laundromat. And when I'm in a hurry, I'll just drop it off and have them wash it, dry it, and fold it. And then as soon as I take the folded clothes back home, I will immediately unfold all of them, <laughs> fold them to my specifications. I did a lot of folding last night, uh, as one does on a Friday night. Oh. There you go. Do you hang your shirts, your T-shirts, or do you fold and put away your t-shirts i fold and put away the t and really when i'm saying clothes i'm talking about the t-shirts i have a very specific way of folding the t-shirt can you but tell like- us is there a way to articulate the brady henderson we know about the bhi yeah now let's go to the bhf the brady henderson folding method the bhfm what well, is, this is, is this demonstration is going to play very well on a podcast, <laughs> I'm sure. But you lay the shirt flat on its stomach, basically. Okay. You start by folding the arms in, and then you fold you fold it into thirds, basically. And then okay, 
Okay. And then you go up from the bottom, okay. two folds up from the bottom. Joe Fan is smiling. He's laughing. He's getting ready to go play golf as we record this. Joe, tell everybody something about Joe Fan that none of us know. Fans of the Seahawks no table. And no one cares about? Um, no one cares about. Okay. I If I'm like a TV, radio, car sound system, if anything with volume has to be at a five or a zero. For me. A five or a zero? Explain yeah. that. Well, Increments of five. Five, 10, 15, 20, 25. It, it can't be anything in between. Why? A five or a zero and when they, exclusively. Why? This is That's this, weird, Joe. This is really yeah. weird. Why? Because it just it just pleases me and it, it gives me anxiety if it's not that way. It never will be at anything else, uh, ever. Okay. And I also hate it when it's just like a bar and there's no number there. Yeah. So like if you have a TV or whatever and it just has the bar, but it doesn't give you, yeah, has to be a five or a zero. Exactly these last four minutes, exactly what everybody tuned in to hear from the Seahawks no table. Brady Henderson's folding and Joe Fan's car, radio, car, stereo, training camp 2021, where hope always springs eternal, Brady. Anything different in terms of the feel out there? You've done how many of these things? Or is it Bill Murray? And I hesitate to do this because I'm afraid you guys are so young that you're not even going to get the reference. Is it, is it Sonny and Cher singing on the alarm clock radio all over again? Did you, either of you get that reference, that pop Is that a reference to Groundhog Day? That is. That is. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not seeing, you know, Punxsutawney Phil pop his head up at the VMAC every morning, but, uh, it does feel the same. I mean, it, it's kind of weird because last year there were no fans out there. And so that really felt a lot different. I think the, the one noticeable thing that I've not seen is, and this is more of a football thing than anything else, a, a specific X's and O's thing. You haven't seen as many big plays in the passing game. And, and I kind of think that some of that is by design just because, what we know about this, one of the things we know about what this new offense will look like under Shane Waldron is that there's going to be a lot more emphasis on short and intermediate throws, and we've gone over the, the hows and the whys of all that. Um, and I think that they've really been focusing more on that. And Tyler Lockett kind of made a comment alluding to that, that, um, that some of that has been by design and that they are really trying to focus on um, getting first downs. And I've, I've said this before, I think the balance for that, that's all the, the idea of having more of a short and intermediate passing game that gets the ball out of Russ's hands quicker and that helps combat the issues that they ran in in the second half of last season. That's a great idea, but they've got to balance it with what Russell Wilson does best, which is throw the deep ball. Uh, we just haven't seen as many of those. Certainly have seen a lot more efficient-looking offense, at least anecdotally, over the first seven practices. Okay, two or three Seahawks that have stood out in a good way, two or three Seahawks at training camp so far, Brady, that have stood out the wrong way. Penny Hart has really stood out to me, and, and he just looks very fast. Um, Tell very everybody who Penny Hart is. A lot of people yeah, may so, not know. Yeah, yeah. so he, he's a, a, a kind of smaller, speedy receiver. Kind of looks you know, kind of a similar uh, player profile as like Dwayne Eskridge, the guy they drafted in the second round. Well, Eskridge, of course, has been on the physically unable to perform list because of his big toe. He's working his way back, and so in his absence, really dating back to the spring, uh, Penny Hart has really stood out. He just... He, I, I can't say anything other than he just looks really fast and really explosive okay. and really shifty okay. and sure-handed. And I think if the season started right now, he would probably be their third receiver uh, over Freddie Swain. And they like both of those guys. I don't know if they like both of those guys enough to really feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, and this all depends on what happens with 
with uh, Dwight Eskridge and when he gets back. But the point I'm making is that if there's a position that they might add to from the waiver wire, maybe trading a late-round pick, I, I could see it being receiver if Dwight Eskridge doesn't get back right away. Joe, I think he just did if a season – if the season started today – which, Which it doesn't. doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about. All right, so that's one. You got to give me at least one more on the good side, and at least two on the bad side, Brady. At least one more on the good side. I mean, Jordan Brooks, Daryl, uh, Daryl Taylor, Daryl oh, Taylor is the guy. Oh God, here we go. Daryl Taylor is really the. I don't know why it even took me that long. Stop the clock. We're at eight minutes. Okay, the first Daryl Taylor reference of the year happens at eight at, at eight minutes. Of the uh, of the podcast, he stood out, huh? Or are you just joking with me on that? No, I'm being I'm being dead serious, and that's just stood out to me. It's it's every time you ask a player about him, the first thing they say is, "Man, like that guy is explosive," and he really is. And and um, you know, just look, I'm no I'm no D line expert, but you can just tell that when he when they're doing those agility drills where they have this big, um, you know, circle, and they're asking the guys to bend and really get around the edge. He just looks like he is a different guy. They considered him the second-best pass rusher in last year's draft behind Chase Young, and uh, you can really start to see why. And most importantly, he's hasn't missed a practice. Obviously, the coming off the uh, injury-lost rookie season that he had, that's going to be a big thing for him is staying healthy, and um, there's been no indication that he's going to battle injuries throughout okay. his career. Brady Henderson's two strugglers. I know you love this part of the podcast. I know you love this show. This is exactly what you were looking forward to getting on with me, being asked who is struggling at training camp in the first week, week and a half. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody that really stands out in terms of struggling. I mean, Alex Magoo, <laughs> how about the fourth quarterback? How about that? I haven't seen a ton from him. In fact, I was a little surprised that they waved Danny Etling instead of Alex Magoo when they brought in Sean Mannion. Alex but, Magoo is struggling. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll, because I don't really have a great answer for you, I'll kind of pivot here and say that um, I think that the, the signing of Sean Mannion, I think that has more to do with okay. the third quarterback spot than it does the second quarterback spot. Um, Obviously, Sean Mannion has the connection to Shane Waldron from their Rams days. I really think they wanted to have that guy in the quarterback room. And remember, based on the, the practice squad rules that they're carrying over from last year, right. a veteran like Mannion, who's now in his fifth or sixth season, he would still have practice squad eligibility. So you yeah. could stash that guy on the practice squad. And, and in terms of third quarterbacks, I think you could do a lot worse than that. Joe Fan, it seems like, I don't know if you feel this way, it seems like a long time ago, that Russell Wilson complained and had his agent tell everyone who would listen that he'd be opening to playing elsewhere, frustrated. But now here we are at training camp. What's your sense now? I know I've asked you this before. Last Seahawks training camp for Russell Wilson? Or is this thing going to get resolved? Or maybe you're going to tell me it depends on how this season goes. It, it depends yeah. on how the season goes. And I don't mean that to be a cop-out answer, but I also think it's worth mentioning that this is, to me – Two sides that went to couples therapy and they decided that, you know what, we're going to give this one more shot. Okay. We're going to we're going to fully invest ourselves, be two feet in uh, and try to make this thing work. But I do think there's a point where you say, if you're Russell Wilson, that this just isn't working. And it's best if we if I try to, to get this thing done elsewhere, because he knows that the clock is ticking, even though he wants to play till he's. 57 years old and he's got 30 seasons left in him and whatever i mean he knows that you know he's in the the heart of his prime right now and you look at this team and are they any closer to winning a championship than they were three four five years ago and potentially yes but you have to see that growth 
uh, this season. It has to come. They can't regress again. And that puts so much pressure on the marriage of, of also not just John Schneider, Pete Carroll, and Russell Wilson, but Shane Waldron being the guy in that relationship um, with him and Russ. Brady, you don't notice anything different out there about number three in the red jersey when he comes running out or the way he's doing his business or his interaction with Pete Carroll. Maybe people are not even looking for that. It's business as usual on the exterior. Yeah, that's been my observation, and and that does not surprise me. You know, One thing I've learned about Wilson and covering him for all, what, nine, whatever it is, seasons he's been here, covering this story and also just covering him for other stories is that he really – has this remarkable ability to compartmentalize. And if you go back to his college career, remember he was playing two sports, taking a full class load, quarterbacking the North Carolina State football team, driving home on weekends to see his dad who was dying of diabetes um, and still playing at a high level. So he he really has this ability to compartmentalize Mm -hmm. and to really put his head down. And that's what he's doing now. I I don't think, and, and I'm sure Joe would agree with me, I don't think the issues that he, you know, the issues that led to him voicing his frustration in February, I don't think those things have completely gone away. Certainly the Seahawks did a lot to help ease that situation from Gabe Jackson, Gerald Everett, the offense that they're installing. So I think they're obviously in a much better place, but some of those issues are still in the back of his mind. Um, I think they could come back depending on what happens this season. But for right now, they're in the back of his mind, then they're still there. Brady, uh, Jamal Adams, where are we that you can tell in terms of negotiations? I'm guessing, everybody else is guessing too, that the Hawks want to pay him the highest safety money of all time, slightly, whatever that number is, $16 million a year, whatever that number is, $16.5 million a year. And he wants, like, cornerback shutdown or edge rusher $20 million a year. And that's the ground that they have to make up. Is that pretty much it in your estimation? Yeah, I believe so. And and it seemed like th- this would be the potential sticking point all along is that you figured the Seahawks would be fine making him the NFL's highest paid safety. The question is, is that going to be okay with Adams or is he going to want more like top defensive player money? So like you said, something closer to uh, 18 or maybe even $20 million. If this, if, if he was comfortable with, with being the highest paid safety and even being the highest paid safety by a comfortable margin, I really think this deal would be done by now. But that I think he wants more than that, and, and we'll see where this goes. I don't think the Seahawks are panicking because from what I understand, I mean, they were, they were prepared. I think they knew the possibility that this could drag out. And, and I mentioned this last time we talked. Look at the last deal that Jamal Adams' agent, Kevin Connor did. It was Tredavious White's deal with the Bills. That did not get done until September 5th, like a week before the Bills right. opener last season. It right. really dragged out. I think there's, some, there's been some thought in the organization that this could take a similar amount of time. So I don't think they're panicking, but I kind of get the sense that they're getting a little antsy. Joe, is it significant that he's out there on the sidelines? He could have skipped it all together and got his fine, whatever it is, $50,000 a day. And do you think he will leave at some point? As we get closer to opening day, if there's no contract, will all of a sudden Brady and everybody go out there and he, Jamal Adams won't be out there on the sidelines? I think it's significant because his teammates just say, can, can be like, hey, he's with us. He's engaged in meetings. He's a part of it. You know, he's, he's a part of the camaraderie and the, the culture of the locker room. And we understand why he's not participating. So I think it's significant, but not surprising. That's what I expected all along. Again, a la Bobby Wagner of a couple of years ago. Granted, that deal got done on like day three of camp, not 
you know, into the middle of August where this thing is headed. Um, I don't think he ever walks out. I don't think he's going to leave the building. I think he's going to be there. And I think what's going to be interesting is that the way the new uh, CBA is structured, like it really um, makes it so penalizing for players who try to hold out. And so this is, is sort of heading towards this game of chicken. Now it's still only, you know, August, you know, early August. So there's still plenty of time for it to get done. But should it come to this point where they're playing chicken and saying, are you really going to potentially miss out on these game checks? And the CX or he's saying, are you really going to potentially risk not having your star safety out there? It could get interesting, but I don't think he ever leaves the building. Yeah, and, and the way that Adams and Brown are handling these situations, it kind of presents a tricky question for the Seahawks because, as Joe, I mean, as Joe called it, these are hold-ins. And, and from what I understand, like these are relatively, these are relatively new ways of, sorry, I'm sorry. Hey, How's it going? No, I was just going to show you this, but you can see it later. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a pot. Can I check it out later? Okay, bye. Okay, thanks, John. <laughs> <laughs> That's got to stay in the podcast. <laughs> I got my guy John doing some work on, on okay, the book. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> where where was I? Go ahead. These hold-ins. As a team, do you find a guy for not practicing, even though he's there? Um, like, how much longer can you go if you're the Seahawks without – wondering about that and and obviously the downside of that is you piss the guys off and and um is that going to be counterproductive to getting a deal done and so these hold-ins i think are are new issues for teams and the longer these drag out the more you have to wonder well how, what's the best way to handle these i i guess i, I want to make sure that i understand both of you it sounds like if both of you think he's not going to walk out come the the week of opening day he's either got to play or not play if he's there right if he's healthy and there he's either playing or he's not playing you guys think he'll play uh, joe you always told me he, he will not play one game i don't think he'll play i think he'll be there so he'll have to be a healthy scratch I mean, they, we would tell him tell the team i am not playing that's oh. my guess oh i would be shocked if the seahawks but if were willing to play playing, that game of chicken but i don't think he plays but if he's not playing why would he be? I, I don't know. I guess I, I'm having trouble with the visual, Brady, of him saying, I'm not playing because of my holdout because I'm, I want a new contract, but I'm coming to the practices as we lead into the Indianapolis game on the Wednesday and Thursday before the India. Is he traveling with the team? Is he going to Indianapolis? Is he standing on the sidelines refusing to play? I've never seen anything like that. Normally, when guys are refusing to play, they're not there. Yeah, I, I don't – I mean, I'm just guessing here, but I don't think it comes to that just because uh, deadlines tend to make these things happen. Okay. And if you're Adams, he was a first-round pick, seventh overall pick, so he's made some money. He's not having trouble putting food on the table. But he's he's not made that big second contract money, and so all of a sudden if you don't – you're either going to get paid or you're not going to get paid. And uh, I don't think he's he's willing to risk losing out on that game check. Brady, they're, they're Pro Bowl-ish – Left tackle Dwayne Brown also on the sidelines, not playing. Reports surfacing that he's displeased and he wants a new, a new contract. What do you know? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of been the assumption for a while now that um, you know he has not he's been at practice like Adams and he's kind of handled it the same way where he shows up but he's not practicing and uh, the report came out from Adam Schefter that he's unhappy with the fact that he does not have a deal yet. I think that in a weird way, this this could end up helping the Seahawks with Adams because that's a reminder to Adams that, hey, the Seahawks can't pay him everything he wants to get paid. 
in part because they've got other guys that they want to pay, including their Pro Bowl left tackle and Brown. And by the way, the longer Adams takes, uh, the longer Adams drags this out and the longer he takes to accept the Seahawks offer, the longer that an unhappy Brown sits there without getting a deal of his own. And so I, I think that the Brown situation I mean, that's going to be a that's going to be a situation that the Seahawks have to deal with themselves, um, assuming, you know, once there's resolution with Adams. And the question is, how much do you want to pay a left tackle who's uh, 36 years old and who played in every game last year and has done so in two of the last three years, but also has been you know, battling knee injuries? So the, the Brown contract situation is going to be an issue of its own. But I think in the meantime, I wonder if that could help them with Adams. Quick hitters as we finish with the uh, first Seahawks no-table of the season on Mitch Unfiltered. Joe, give me a thought on D. Eskridge not being able to get out on the field. You and I have discussed this before. Seahawks fans are frustrated that every time, it seems like every year, the Seahawks' top draft choice or one of their top draft choices that everybody got excited about when they draft him are injured before training camp even begins. Is this... Is this something to be concerned about? Are the Seahawks culpable of not knowing physical conditions of these guys? I think it's significant. And I think you look at that D. Eskridge, it's not just he was their second-round pick and, and a guy they expect a lot from, but he's got an opportunity to have a big-time role. And, and they drafted him with the vision of him being that that perfect number three receiver to compliment DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett to say, this guy from day one is such a weapon that you have to be aware of on a play-to-play basis that you can't double Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf every down. And so I think it's really significant because you look at his skill set and I do think it's diverse uh, to what else is on the roster. I know I know Brady kind of compared Penny Hart to, to D. Eskridge, but we didn't see any of Penny Hart in the running game last year. We didn't see him used in space. Um, he wasn't super productive last year. He didn't get a whole lot of run, to be honest with you, behind David Moore and, and Freddie Swain. And, and maybe that's totally changed now that Shane Waldron's in the mix and, and a number of guys can can fill that role, even if it's not Dwayne Eskridge. But I think that the big worry here is that foot injuries and, and toe injuries, they can linger. The fact that they're talking about creating this special shoe that's going to allow him to play through it, I mean, that's concerning to me. Um, so I, I don't think you look at this and say, no big deal, it's still early in, in training camp. I think... Um, especially given the track record of what happened with all the red shirt years we've seen. It was LJ Collier, it was Daryl Taylor, and now with D. Eskridge, um, I think it's hard to expect a ton from him knowing where things are at right now. Brady, did he have this injury when they drafted him? Was he hurt when they drafted him, or is this an injury that was sustained somewhere after they drafted him before minicamps? I don't understand. And if it was, if he was, if he had a bad big toe when they drafted him, did they know he had a bad big toe? when they drafted him? You know what? That is a good question, and I I believe that at one point I knew the answer to this, and it's not coming to me. I would have to go back and look at ask it. The, but, uh, ask the guy that's helping you with the boat, for God's sakes. Maybe he knows. He might know. He might know. Uh, he probably doesn't, though. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. But, yeah, and, and Joe was – yeah, I mean, I agree. Just look at what happened with Philip Dorsett last year, and, and that's obviously worst-case scenario. But Every year. A, a speedy receiver with a foot injury, that's it's a little, it's a little scary. All right, let's uh, – Let's go down to Brady with the uh, the Brady Henderson starting lineup index. Give me the offensive line. Is it as we thought? And I'll do it in Hebrew. Shell, Jackson, Posit, Lewis, Brown. Is that going to be it? Or is there some surprise that's coming that we don't know about? Barring injury, of course, is that the starting five against Indianapolis on opening day? 
Yes, and and I think the one big the one somewhat question there is right tackle because Cedric Aboy he has been splitting reps and, and maybe even playing more with the first team at right tackle than Brandon Shell. That was from what we've learned a part of the sales pitch that the Seahawks made to re-sign Cedric Obwehi. He wants to be a right tackle. The Seahawks and other teams have always wanted him to play left tackle. He's dead set on playing right tackle. And I think part of him re-signing with the Seahawks was them promising him that they would give him an opportunity to compete for that job, um, which he has been. I still think Brandon Shell is, is the better player, and so I think it's going to be Shell at right tackle and everybody else that you mentioned. Alden Smith, will he be available? Do we have any idea? Give me the front seven, maybe the first four and the rotational guys. And is there uh, is this a, a game of musical chairs where a couple of names that we recognize are going to be left off and have to be cut or not make the roster? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's their deepest and most competitive position group. And, and I'll start with Alden Smith. I mean, I, I knew that this would happen. I, I've been saying that I think he's on the bubble, uh, saying that before we saw him on the field. And I knew that this was going to happen, that I would see him on the field and I would see him how physically imposing he is. And I would immediately pencil it write him in Sharpie onto the roster, and that's kind of what I want to do right now. If this was just a football question, there's no doubt in my mind that Alden Smith would be on the team, but there's more than that. He's got the pending legal case uh, in Louisiana. He's set to be arraigned on August 24th, which, as we know about legal cases, that could continue to get pushed back, and he may not have to deal with that this season. But even in that event, he still you know, has his ongoing battles with alcohol, and so I just don't think you can take anything for granted there. I, I, I don't know if he's going to be a starter, but I think, again, assuming he makes the team, he's going to be a big part of that rotation. It, it's it's hard to say what this who the starters are because that's only really a starter matter. in name. Yeah, They're yeah. subbing guys in and out so much that um, what, what I will say, though, is I mentioned how deep it is. I, I, I kind of wonder about Rasheem Green and what his future is with the team. He has not really stood out to me in the way that, some of those other guys have. Um, and, I, if, and if there's an odd man out there, I wonder if it's going to be. Kerry Hyder, how's he looked? You know, Kerry Hyder, this one thing I heard about him from, from somebody with the Seahawks uh, when they signed him is that basically told me, you're going to look at this guy and think, really? Like, that guy is a is a impact NFL player? Just because he's not, he's not the most physically impressive guy. And so if you're just judging him based on what you see in him standing around there. They call that the pads. Ben Burkirvan effect. Yeah, you're not going to be all that impressed. And so I'm going to withhold judgment on Kerry Hyder. Um, okay. Okay. He obviously has been a productive player in the NFL for a reason because he's really good, but uh, even if he doesn't always look the part. And the starting two corners as of today? Weatherspoon on the left side and DJ Reed on the right side. Where's Trey Flowers? Is he going to be on the team? See, that, that's I'm hoping you're still asking me these and I'm not cutting off Joe. I don't know. I don't know because if he's does if he doesn't win that starting job on the right side now you're talking about paying a backup more than two million dollars go back to the decision the Seahawks made last year remember they made David Moore take a pay cut to stay on the team he was set to make around the same amount of money uh, two million and change as their third receiver they deemed that to be too high and I wonder if if Trey Flowers doesn't win a starting job are they gonna say that yeah two million and change for a number three cornerback who's not really a nickelback um, I, I wonder if they might think that that's too high. Who's but, gonna, I mean, all in all, like we've talked about the cornerback issues, and I, I, I've called it the biggest question mark on their too. team, and I, yeah. I'm sure you guys would agree with that. It's really not a matter of depth. I mean, they've got good depth. You could do a lot worse than having Trey Flowers or Demarius Randall or Pierre Desir as, as depth guys, um, and it's not a lack of experience. They've got guys who have played a lot of football there. It's just a question of, 
are your top two guys going to play anything close enough to a Pro Bowl level to, to really make a difference? Yeah. Who's the nickel? Who won the nickel job? I think it's going to be Marquise Blair okay. primarily. And, okay. and Ugo Amadi is a really good player. Like if Marquise Blair wasn't in the mix, I think people would feel good about Ugo Amadi being the nickel. So I think they're going to rotate those guys based on matchups, but it's primarily going to be Marquise Blair. Okay, Joe, you just listened to it all like I did. You just heard offensive line. You just heard defensive line and rotational players and the competition for spots along the defensive line. And you just heard the cornerback story, which the three of us have been talking about the entire offseason. Is that going to be the undoing? Is the cornerback – this is the day and age in the NFL where every quarterback throws for 4,000 yards in the league. Is When we're sitting here in January discussing the Seahawks either being eliminated in the playoffs or the Seahawks not making the playoffs, God forbid, is it going to be because of the cornerback position? No, if they don't make it where they need to go, it's because the offense wasn't the juggernaut that we expected it to be. I mean, they should be a lock for a top-10 offense. And really, given the personnel – should be a top five offense. I mean, that should be the expectation. And so uh, if they fall short of that, that to me is what will be the team's undoing. I, I think at corner, I- I'm more bullish on that group being serviceable uh, compared to a liability. I think they can be just fine. I think Akella Witherspoon knows he has got an opportunity to get a big-time payday next offseason if he can stay healthy and perform. And the guy talks about himself like he's the best corner quite literally told everyone that he's he thinks he's the best corner in football when he's healthy well now he's got to show it and I think he's got the tools to do it and we've seen DJ Reed play really good football for more than half a season last year so I think they're going to be okay I think there's enough depth and uh, an ability on the pass rush um, to help those guys out as well so uh, I think if, if the defense can sniff top 16 you know just be top half of the league um, then I think this should be a really good football team as long as the offense does its part. But it's going to be the offense that has to carry most of the weight. Brady, I know you want to jump in with Witherspoon. Does he win against DK Metcalf out there? Does he win against Tyler Lockett out there? Does he win his share against those two guys? You know, we really haven't seen enough. I, I haven't seen enough of that to really give you an answer. I mean, for, for, the, for a while, for the first week or so at camp, cornerbacks really weren't able to okay. truly contest catches because they're still in phase three contact rules and okay. blah, blah, blah. So okay. um, ask me in a few weeks. Okay. But but I, th- I think it's also worth stating with the cornerback spot is that you can kind of get some help. You can get a lot of help, I think, from having a, a very good safety duo in, in Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams, probably more so Diggs because of what I'm talking about is, you know, a, a, a deep cover safety who can cover a lot of ground in a zone defense. I think that can really help out with deficiencies at cornerback, and I'm reminded of when Earl Thomas got his first contract extension with the Seahawks, he was up on the stage and he was saying, you know, how do you have a a, a fifth-round corner on one side and an undrafted guy on the other side? It's because of me. Like, he's saying, how 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 does this secondary work as well as it does when you have these, you know, no names on the outside? It's because of a a really good, strong, or free safety like me. Quandre Diggs is not... Uh, Earl Thomas, obviously, but I think that in his own defense, he can really help out uh, those corners. And and look, it's they've got really good players else, or you know, promising players elsewhere in their secondary. So I think if you can maybe run more nickel than usual, you can also get more good cover guys out there, and I think that could help the problem. And we finished the no table boys with the news the last couple of days, and I don't know how legitimate it is. I don't know if whether KJ Wright's team is is floating, hey, we're in Las Vegas, we're talking to the Raiders and maybe trying to get the Seahawks to move. I know he's a a very, very popular player in this town. Still think there's a chance, 
based on what you've seen in training camp, Brady, and what you know of the relationship between K.J. Wright and the Seahawks? Yes? Chance? I, I feel the same way I have for a few months now. I think the only chance is if one of their linebackers gets hurt. Um, and I said previously, if, if one of their linebackers gets hurt or if Daryl Taylor just doesn't look like he's ready to take on that job. And Better not um, neither of those things have happened yet. And so I still think it's it's not in the cards right now. Joe, something happens. would you like to see KJ one more go around? Like to see? Sure. Do I think it happens? No, I, I think he doesn't have a spot right now. And I just don't see KJ Wright putting his ego aside to taking very minimal money and not playing. So. That, to me, just doesn't seem like he he's obviously wants to be in Seattle, but he wants to play in Seattle, not ride the bench behind these young guys and just be a depth piece. Um, that just, I just, it's hard for me to imagine that KJ, and nor should he. He should be playing football. He was so damn good last year. Like, he deserves a spot on a team where he can start and play big snaps. Um, it's just not going to happen in Seattle, barring an injury. There it is, ladies and gentlemen, Brady Henderson, ESPN Seahawks insider. Thank you, Brady. Thanks for being back with us. All right. Thank you. And Joe Fan, wearing a lot of Puma today, getting ready to get on the golf course. Future Champions Tour star, Joe Fan. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate you, fellas. Here's Daniel's CEO, Lindsey Schwartz. Lindsey, what can you tell us about Daniel's broiler? Yeah, Mitch, we're super excited to be at 100% capacity finally. The summertime's always a great time of year for us, so, so it's a really exciting time. Now we just need more people to come to work now that we've got the expanded <laughs> demand. We need, we need more team members. Now hold on a second. I hear you have a, a new all-star busboy at the Bellevue location named Movie Mogul Max. How's he doing? And Tell us a little bit about, more importantly, the positions that you have available and how people go about applying for those positions. Yeah, you know, Max is doing a, a great job, and everybody likes him, which is surprising, <laughs> you know, based on who his dad is. But, uh, yeah, he's doing great, and, yeah, we need more hardworking people like him out there. We've got lots of opportunities at every location, whatever people want to do. There's jobs in the kitchen, front of house, servers, bartenders, bussers, front desk. So, really, it's anything. Thing. And, and we've got part-time, full-time, looking for people who just want to come and uh, get some shifts during the summer or make a career with us. Anything goes right now. Danielsbroiler.com. And tell us about the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon. How's that doing? And I understand there's maybe an expansion of sorts. Yeah, it's been amazing the success that we've had with the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon these past few months. And uh, we're launching three more varieties, a whiskey nice. sour, a Kentucky mule, a lavender martini. Those should all be up on Amazon any minute if they're not already. And uh, also, you'll be able to now find them on the shelves at all of the QFC stores. Okay, so great news from Daniel's Broiler, and they are looking to hire for all positions, full-time and part-time positions. Go to danielsbroiler.com and click the employment tab. We love Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. In talking to some different NFL front office guys, coaches on multiple different teams, I came up with a listing of some of the biggest factors that hurt teams on field in terms of rest disadvantage, uh, short week road games, negated bye weeks, playing a lot of games in a short time frame. 
Over the last many years, our next guest on Mitch Unfiltered has developed NFL analytics unlike any other. I'm sounding like the Masters here in Jim Nance. Sharp football preview has become a must-read for not only NFL fans, but front offices as well. And the 2021 issue is now out and available. Here is its developer, Warren Sharp, back on Mitch Unfiltered. Hi, Warren. How are you? I'm doing great, Mitch. So happy to be talking to you. Excited about the Seahawks season and excited to give you some of my takes on well, it. Well, I don't like, first of all, that they're, they're number three in the NFC West, but we'll get there. Uh, what do we got? 462 pages for the 21 preview. How's it going so far? Tell us about it. Yeah, it's going great. Uh, this was by far the longest edition uh, that I wrote. In the past, I have tried to slim it down, trim it down, so that we could sell it for a reasonable price in book form, hard copy. This year, I cut against the grain completely, and I said, look, I'm tired of writing less on every team when I've got so much information that I'd like to share. So I wrote as much as I wanted to, and we're just selling it as a PDF, but there is so much more to all of the team chapters. Uh, we've added different ranks different metrics. It's full color. Uh, there's a lot of things there for visual learners. So it's not as if you're picking up like a 462-page research manual that's just full of black and white text the whole way through. There's graphs and images and data visualizations there that are really going to help you understand better about all 32 teams as well as expectations around the league. For what we can expect out of the 2021 season, that's what everybody wants to know. I help explain what went wrong for teams last season because everything only went right for one team by the <laughs> end right. of the day. Right. The other 31 things went wrong, and then I decide, you know, share what they changed in the offseason and what we can expect from them this upcoming year. Do you feel like the NFL has embraced metrics and numbers and this type of data the way Major League Baseball has, or is it still a work in progress? It's definitely a work in progress, but absolutely the arrows pointed in the right direction. We are seeing more and more teams hire people full-time to work in the analytics space for them. Uh, we're seeing teams hire people like me uh, to work as consultants for them on a part-time basis. And I've been talking to more and more offensive coordinators that are getting and embracing more of these analytics into what they're doing. And you can see it out on the football field with some of the early down pass rates increasing throughout the, the league. We know that something like that is just such a low-hanging fruit, but that's been on the increase and of course you know fourth down decision making and aggressiveness has also increased and that's another one of those things that's really easy to do uh the numbers tell you to do it more often go for it in situations and they're doing it maybe you just answered the next question is it fair warren for me to ask you to highlight maybe the two or three offensive metrics that you find as the most illuminating when it comes to determining success or lack thereof? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you one that's like very elementary. Okay. Uh, well, I'll give you two, two that are very elementary and then some that we'll start talking about that are a little bit more advanced. But the first is simple, you know, turnovers. That's not anything new. That's been around for a while. But when you win the turnover battle, you're going to win a lot of your games. Something that the Seahawks tried to embrace a little bit last season was another metric that simply 
you're leading at halftime because 80% of the time when you lead at halftime, you're going to win a game. The other team sits there at halftime, tries to make some adjustments. They're playing from a position of weakness in the second half where their play calling becomes a little bit more predictable. You're playing from a massive position of strength with the whole playbook open to do whatever you want in the second half with the lead. Um, That's just so valuable. And so jumping out to these leads at halftime, uh, those are very important. And then, of course, the question is, okay, well, we don't want to try to turn the ball over and we want to get a lead at halftime. What do we need to do? Well, the way that you're going to get that lead at halftime is being aggressive aggressive in the first half of the game. And you get aggressive by passing the ball more often on early downs because that's going to gain more yards per play. That's going to help move the football down the field more, and it's less predictable. The defense doesn't know when you're in first and ten what you're going to do. The defense knows exactly what you're going to do when you're in third and seven, third and eight. You're definitely passing the ball. So you don't want to make life easy on that defense. You need to try to pass the football when they don't know whether a run or a pass is going to come, and that's going to be on your first down situation. And then there are the Seahawks. You and I have discussed this in the past now we've got a new offensive coordinator and I'll ask you about him and your thoughts about him but how about just starting from the basics you and I have been frustrated the last few seasons here in Seattle has been kind of a tale of two halves for the passing offense and Russell Wilson on fire the first eight or so like the MVP of the league the first eight or so and then something kind of pedestrian in the back half I don't know if it's hits piling up a schedule thing, maybe you'll tell me defensive adjustments or something else. I, I know that Wilson threw on early downs much more earlier in the year than he did, he did later in the year because Pete Carroll decided to get back to basics and running the ball. Where do you stand on the tale of two halves for the Seahawks in the last two seasons, Warren? Well, if we want to start with 2020, I mean, clearly we saw what happened when this team went out to Buffalo, and I think that was the real uh, thing that clicked in, in flip the switch for Pete to then basically instruct this offense like you are going to start running the football which they ended up having to do in the against the Rams in LA and they obviously lost that game uh, and they went on to you know rebound a little bit over the last half of the season but it was not like they were in the first half of the season um, and the fact of the matter is Look at the game in Buffalo. Who did you even have at running back to actually carry the football? All your running backs were banged up. Mm-hmm. Who do you want DJ Dallas, like build our whole offense around DJ Dallas running the football? So I don't see an issue with the way that they were, and they made a big change. Brian Schottenheimer made a massive change in terms of their aggression and their pass rate. In the first half of the season last year, they were passing a lot more, as you were indicating. That then switched after that loss to Buffalo. That was a bad loss, and Russ threw some interceptions when the game was all hinging on him without their running backs out there. Um, and then Pete just said, you guys got to run the football down the stretch. Now, there is something to what you said about defenses making some adjustments, and we saw that the Rams, the Rams played – Seattle a little bit differently with their safeties and really creating trouble for this passing attack. And then other teams started latching onto that after that Week 10 game, making it a little bit more difficult. And the there was no real response from the Seahawks offense, no counter punches from Brian Schottenheimer in this offense to make those adjustments that were necessary to counter what some of those defenses were doing. Um, so this year's offensive coordinator, I do think that you know Shane Waldron bring some things that I think are going to benefit this team. What I've heard about from your camp has been, you know, the pre-snap motion and the tempo. These are all types of things, and we've talked about this before, Mitch, that I think are vital, and that is 
the rules are so slanted towards offenses having better success than defenses. And offenses, for years now, we've known that offensive efficiency decides wins and losses far more than defensive efficiency. It contributes massively compared to what your defense is actually able to contribute. So the rules are in offenses' favor. Offensive production ends up winning games far more than defensive production does. The only thing that you can do to screw yourself up is if you get too predictable from an offensive perspective. And I think that a lot of that pre-snap motion and tempo is really going to help keep this team less predictable. And hopefully they continue to introduce different wrinkles down the stretch to make themselves less predictable as defenses inevitably year one of a new coordinator will start figuring out and studying the tape over those first few weeks. And we want to try to avoid the Seahawks falling into that same trap that they've fallen into uh, with not being nearly as efficient offensively down the stretch once defenses make their adjustments. Did you like, Warren, what Shane Waldron did with the Rams and Jared Goff and the way they went about their offensive business? I guess that would be a, a good question. And, you know, he brings with him Gerald Everett, the tight end, the big athletic tight end that everybody in the last few weeks has been raving about and talking about how this is a new era for Russell Wilson and the tight end here in Seattle. Well, I know that tight ends matter a lot in the NFL. Look, look at one of the best coaches we've ever seen in terms of Bill Belichick and what he has done with the tight end position. We obviously, people probably remember free agency this past year where in the first hour of legal tampering, he goes out and breaks the bank for tight end Johnny Smith. It comes back 24 hours later and breaks the bank once again, whatever was left in there, spending it on tight end Hunter Henry, doubling up on tight ends. But the fact of the matter is, go way, way, way back to like 2004 when the Patriots were at the top of their dynasty, they use a first round pick on a tight end. And when he leaves the team, they followed it up drafting two tight ends in the draft. I think they got grabbed uh, Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez in the second and fourth rounds of this very same draft as soon as they lost that tight end that was there in the first round. So Bill Belichick loves tight ends. I love tight ends. And it's about time that Seattle gets a tight end that really can contribute because it's such a matchup nightmare. We already know, like, you've got D.K. Metcalf and Tyler Lockett can do some things that are difficult for opposing defenses, but you're always going to have corners on these guys, whether they get safety help or what you're exactly doing from a bracketing perspective on the defensive side of the football. The fact is, corners are going to be lining up against these guys. When you have an athletic receiving tight end who you can move around the formation, you can line up in line, who can go out, you can have them run block, have them pass block, have them go out on routes, you know, as an inline tight end and also be split out, that is a massive key. It's a skeleton key that can do a lot of different things. And I think this is why a team like the Kansas City Chiefs have done so well with their tight ends there and Travis Kelsey. And I'm not suggesting that we've got the same level of talent here, but I do think it's been a piece that's been missing from this offense and hopefully he's able to fill that void. In terms of what Shane Waldron has done with the Rams, um, if you read in the book, when I talk about the Rams itself, you know, obviously that's Sean McVay's team. That's Sean McVay's yeah. offense. And yeah. I've been a little bit underwhelmed with what Sean McVay has done from like an adjustments perspective or from a personnel usage perspective. He's absolutely a genius and a very smart coach. Uh, but 
like I know that everybody will just say that he's been limited by Jared Goff. Let's wait and see what he does with Matthew Stafford. And I say, okay, yeah, let's let's wait and see what he does with Matthew Stafford because there have been little things, even in the Super Bowl run, that I thought they could have done that would have probably won them the Super Bowl, not to suggest I'm anywhere close to being as brilliant as Sean McVay is, but there are some things that they weren't doing that I hope Shane will be able to do and make these adjustments. Uh, but in general, I'm, I'm optimistic, and the okay. only reason is because they have Russell Wilson. Yeah. But the lingering concern in the back of my mind that's hard to ignore is who is coaching Trevor Lawrence down in Jacksonville? Trevor Lawrence is being coached in Jacksonville. His offense coordinator is Daryl Bevel. His quarterback's coach is Brian Schottenheimer. (laughs) Two former offensive coordinators that were both fired by Pete Carroll in part because they wanted to pass the ball too much for Pete's liking. Ah. And that's the only issue that I have here. I think this team will inevitably, having gotten rid of a coordinator that just was basically fired for you know not wanting to run the football enough and philosophical disagreements there, will run the football more this season than I think that they should and put too much pressure on Russ to come back in games, which he's done so well throughout his career. But there's no doubt it's far easier to be a quarterback when you're going into halftime with these leads. And that's why Russ, wanted, you know, Russ studied the Chiefs in the 2019 season. He saw them go to the Super Bowl and win it. He decided to meet with Brian Schottenheimer and said publicly even, we want to do things differently this year. We want to come out more aggressively. We want to pass the football. We want to build these halftime leads because it's easier to win games. He said all of that publicly before the season. They came out and actually did all of those things until Pete pulled the plug on that system. And that's what I'm interested to see, how much flexibility and freedom that Shane is going to be given this season. It's the sharp football preview. We'll tell you exactly at the end where to go buy and download the PDF. By the way, 13 pages, I counted them myself, on the Seahawks alone. And you've got the offensive line um, down in ranking. You've got the front seven ranked 24th on defense. You've got the secondary 20th on defense. It's hard to win with that combo, especially in the NFC West with the Rams and the 49ers. It's going to be hard for the Seahawks to win 11 or 12 with the 24th-ranked front seven and the 20th-ranked secondary. No? No, absolutely. And then when you factor in that they're going up against the number one most difficult schedule of opposing defenses this year, Are they? absolutely. It yeah. is going to be tough to win. Now, this is not, this is why I think Pete really needs to take a hard look at his philosophy in general, because he saw so much success when Russ was on his rookie deal that he thought that's just the way that we can play football forever. And the fact of the matter is when you end up having to pay a quarterback such a large amount of money and you can't have his much talent on your defensive side of the football because of how much the quarterback is occupying from a cap perspective, inevitably the quality and the caliber of your defensive play is going to fall off, and that's why they were ranking so great during the Legion of Boom years and then fell off since then, and they haven't been able to get over that hump since they've been paying Russell Wilson. They really do have to entrust him more early in games to win, and I think this defense, you know, they, they are lacking in talent. It is going to be a difficult season for them, and they are playing in a very difficult division. The odds makers are forecasting that they have a nine-and-a-half game win total, mm-hmm. and I think that the value here 
just to paint a little bit of an optimistic picture, is on the Seahawks to make the playoffs at minus 125. That means you have to lay 125 to win 100. I think Seattle does get back into the playoffs. It's difficult for me to envision in a 17-game season that they don't do enough to get there. And the other thing is, look around at some of the other divisions at like the number two best team in those divisions. Which of those teams that are ranked number two in some of the other teams in the NFC do you really think are going to steal those three wild card spots now that the league expanded to seven playoff teams? There's not a whole lot of like number two or number three best teams in some of these divisions that are going to do it. I personally think that the team to fear in the NFC West is not the Rams. It's actually the San Francisco 49ers. Um, But I think Seattle easily will be in in a a battle for the number one seed in the West, but most likely will end up number two, but I still envision them getting to the postseason. So Niners one, Rams two, Seattle three in the West? Something like that? I actually, uh, something like that, but I think that there's a good case to be made that the Seahawks can sneak into the number two spot. At the same time, I do think that there's a good chance that the Seahawks win nine games and still could potentially make the playoffs, given what I see around the NFC in general. I think the AFC has a higher caliber of teams across their divisions. I think the NFC has a lower caliber, but I think that the Seahawks are absolutely inside of that top seven and will get into the playoffs, whether it's nine or ten games. I think that they can get there. Okay. And you think the Niners are going to win the West? I do. Um, look, I, I don't know what they're going to do with Jimmy G. I would, if I'm betting on the Niners or rooting for the Niners, I would kind of prefer that they don't get rid of Jimmy G. And here's why. Uh, not that I don't want Jimmy G to start, but when you look at a 17-game season and all of these COVID protocols and just these cases and all of that stuff, it's inevitable that we're going to be dealing with this thing this season in a big way. And I'd rather have another quarterback that I could lean on to, especially when my QB one, if he becomes that this season, Trey Lance is a running quarterback and could take some of these things. If you want to get yourself to the postseason, you and, and, and win the Super Bowl, you would love to have a backup quarterback like a Jimmy G. And so I think that that combination of quarterbacks is, is something very valuable for San Francisco. Now I wrote in the book in the San Francisco chapter, Kyle Shanahan, has been questionable with his win-loss record more so than people give him credit for. He's only had a couple of really good runs, and when he doesn't have those really good runs, his team has a bad record. They don't even finish in the top 20 in terms of NFL offenses and points per game. So he's either really great or well below average. Um, I think that if you look at this team, the Seattle, uh, sorry, San Francisco 49ers, over the last four years since Kyle took over, this is te- has a team that's been really – dealt with two primary things. One of the most injured teams in the NFL over that stretch every single year, and they always have seemed to go up against a brutal schedule of past defenses. In fact, I show them playing the number one most difficult in 2017, 12th most, 10th most, and 5th most in 2020. I'm working through the years there. This year, I forecast them to play the 26th 
toughest schedule of pass defenses. So this passing attack for the 49ers will face pass defenses on average that are much easier than any that Kyle Shanahan's gone up against to his in his tenure to date in San Francisco. And if they can just stay healthy, these are two things going for him this year that they've never had before in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan. 462 pages, ladies and gentlemen. The, uh, the sharp football preview. There's nothing like it out there. Real quickly, by the way, within the 462 pages, don't think that he gives the, uh, the cold shoulder to fantasy football. He's very much aware that fantasy football rolls on here in the United States. Give me a couple of blue plate specials. Give me a couple of under-the-radar tips for our fantasy football crowd in our audience, Warren. Oh, well, it's always going to be a quarterback-driven uh, league and driven system, and it's important to have uh, good quarterback play. But there are so many good quarterbacks out there um, in the NFL. We've talked earlier about how efficient offenses are becoming, how they are passing the ball earlier on in games. And so that makes you know just the average level of quarterback play much higher than what it's been in the past and thus allowing you to potentially wait a little bit more there. Yep. Um, the other thing that's that's great about these offenses is th- with all these passing attempts, you know, wide receivers are collecting more targets. And so finding those offenses that have targets um, where they aren't being spread around quite as much but are being more channeled on w- receivers that are now going to collect a lot of passing attempts, I think those are big advantages. One team that I that is in your backyard, in your division that, you know, haven't discussed in as much detail, but I think is getting overlooked are the non-quarterback receiving pieces for the Rams offense. I think in general the Rams offense is being underdrafted besides Matthew Stafford. If you look at the running back, Daryl Henderson with the injury to Cam Akers, if you look at uh, the other wide receivers that are on that football team, I just think that this is a team that could have the potential to increase their pass rate and these guys have you know big upsides just because they're in an offense now that does have Matthew Stafford and I think could be playing in advantageous spots the sharp football preview how much does it cost me and where do I get it you can grab it at sharpfootballanalysis.com. It's okay. $29, and it's something that I pour three and a half months into as soon as the season ends and really try to find out all the types of nuggets. I mean, incorporate things that other people don't know about these teams. And I don't want people picking up this book and saying, oh, well, I already knew this, so this is great to have it organized like this, but I already knew this information. I absolutely try to come out with things out of left field that you did not know unless you read this book and will give you an advantage in your understanding of these teams this upcoming season. Sharpfootballanalysis.com. It's the Sharp Football Preview 2021 issue. It's available to be downloaded now. Honestly, I've seen it. I've read it. I've not read it all, but I've certainly read the 13 pages on the six. You haven't seen anything like this, ladies and gentlemen. He does a fantastic job, and NFL teams are very much aware of Warren Sharp and, and, and his analysis and metrics over the years. Great to visit with you again on Mitch Unfiltered. Thanks for doing it. Have a great NFL season, and we'll catch up down the line. Hey, thank you for having me, Mitch.
And without further ado, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions, Sean Waterstrat, who also is the gracious title sponsor of all of our golf pools and the NFL's Beat the Boys competition, which is on the way back. John, how are you? Doing great. Thanks, Mitch, for having me on. Thanks for being back on. Summer's kind of getting away from us. We need to make decisions now. You're going to give us the reasons why. Fireplace season will be here before you know it. Yeah, we've been spoiled in the Northwest with this beautiful weather, but just around the corner, that cold chill will be out there and uh, we want to get our houses ready for to keep us nice and cozy warm with that being said it's a good time to make decisions right now the industry is a little bit variable we're seeing lots of things go up and down whether it's price or whether it's stock so you know if you're ready to find that fireplace and ready to do this project uh, let us know and we'll get you on the schedule immediately so you can get it just in time for that cold chill how many showrooms do you have these days at fireside home solutions up and down the pacific northwest yeah we try to make it conveniently located for everyone. So we have our flagship store there in Bellevue. Love that store. Uh, our Kent store will be moving to Auburn. So we'll be having a nice grand opening, opening a new store in Tacoma. And then we have the two great stores in Portland over there in Beaverton and in Tualatin. We're ordering a new outdoor unit from you guys. And Brian was here just the other day helping. It's nice to go to the showroom. But what I love about you guys is your team comes to the home to develop the perfect strategy. Yes, we do, Mitch. And, and it's one of the benefits of going with Fireside. You can definitely come into one of our showrooms. If you don't have time, we can do in-home sales with you. But we're always going to come out to your house. We're going to have a great measurement done. Make sure we're talking the same language. Make mm -hmm. sure you're doing those final details so when our installers get out there, they can get that fireplace installed and you can be enjoying it as soon as they get done. What's the lag time these days for units that you don't have in stock? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, it can vary out there. Like we said, there's no better time than making a decision right now. Huh? Some things are taking up to six to sometimes 12 weeks. But uh, again, if you're just looking at something that's in stock, we can get you done in two to three weeks. Fireside Home Solutions has been a terrific partner with all the great contests, and they are the best in the Northwest. If you're if you're in the market for a new fireplace, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. Can you share with us the loneliness of being expected to win and hearing that you're the goat all the time, but still having to go out and prove it time after right. time after time. How hard is that? I feel like it's hard, um, but it's harder being a female athlete because, you know, everybody prays for your downfall and wants you to mess up and all of that stuff. And I don't think they take in consideration of our mental health because what we do isn't easy or else everybody could do it. But also at the end of the day, we're not just athletes or entertainment. We're human too. And we have emotions and feelings and things that we're working through behind the scenes that we don't tell you guys about. Over the last few months, the spotlight on mental health in sports has become intense beyond words, considering the plights of Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles. The days of world-class athletes being too ashamed of admitting to struggles might be coming to an end, or is it? Dr. Rebecca Businich of St. Catherine University, all the way from St. Paul, Minneapolis, Minnesota, has been outspoken on the topic and joins us here on episode 153. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thank, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. In the last yeah. several years, mental health has become something that's discussed and accepted more and more universally, but not necessarily in the sports world, I'm assuming because of the image of these men and women being invulnerable. 
Yeah? True. Yeah. To an extent, I think we have sort of clashing narratives when it comes to sport and mental health. So there's a lot of stigma around mental health still, although I, I think you're right that we're starting to have more of those important conversations around it. But there's still this sort of idea that mental health is, you know, a sign of weakness, a sign of vulnerability, a sign of being overly sensitive, perhaps, or overly emotional. There are a lot of labels, most of them ugly labels that not many people would want placed upon them that sort of align themselves with with mental health struggles. And so, uh, you know, you have the contrasting narrative then of sport, which is that in order to be the best athlete, people think that you need to be mentally strong. You need to be um, somebody who, you know, can handle toughness and pain. And, and so in many ways, admitting to mental health struggles uh, sort of goes against what we often think of as being that strong athlete, right? Somebody yeah. sort of admitting some level of, of quote unquote weakness, even though that's, that's not what it is, but it's that sort of idea that exists around mental health. And so it's really important that we're starting to finally have these kinds of conversations. Is it possible that for a myriad of reasons, professional and amateur athletes might even be more prone to struggles because of the, some of the issues that come along with that job than maybe you and me? Um, maybe. I mean, that's definitely a possibility. I, I would say, I mean, there's definitely added pressure, but I think there's, you know, everybody experiences pressure and stress. And here's the thing about health. We just, health is multidimensional. There are probably 10 different dimensions of health if we were to label them all. And yet we tend to really focus mostly on, on physical and so, you know, all humans, human beings mm -hmm. have mental health. And just like with physical health, we it exists on a continuum, right? Where sometimes mental health may be great and sometimes it, it may not be. And we sort of have this continuum and that's a normal aspect of human health. The same way in which with physical health, it's not possible to live across a lifetime and never experience illness, never experience injury. When we don't question those things, when somebody gets hurt, we accept that that's a part of the human, you know, physical health. Yes. But when it comes to mental health, for some reason, we just sort of expect perfection across our lifetime, which just doesn't make sense. It doesn't align with the human experience. You know, mental health, like any aspect of health, people experience deficits. And certainly, um, you know, the pressures that we place on athletes to be perfect in all ways, physically and otherwise, you know, mental health is something that's often been silenced and, and there's sort of this added stigma there. In the grand scheme of things, how important in your estimation is the world's reaction to Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and their public battles? And how do you feel, generally speaking, it's been received universally? Universally, I think hopefully there's a positive uh, sort of wave of change that's occurring. At the very least, we're starting to have discussions that are necessary in order to change sport, in order to change the arena around mental health and our conversations around mental health. Um, 
and I, I think at the very least, hopefully it's getting people to open up about this, maybe have conversations around the dinner table about this. And I think the thing about mental health that's striking is that when people do finally open up and talk about it, they realize that Again, it's an aspect of human health that we all experience. And while so many of us don't talk about it, it's something that we all experience, whether it's personally ourselves or if it's a friend or a family member or something, we've all experienced somebody or some aspect of our life in which mental health was was a struggle. Um, and so I, I think with respect to Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles and, and this conversation that we're having currently, right now there's been positive reactions and then there's been yes. negative and it's really hard to hear some of the negative and i, yeah. I can't I, i'm not going to get the the actual person right so maybe you can help me with this but there was a, a politician down in texas who made a comment shortly after she pulled out of some of her events saying that she was a disgrace right to that extent. Right. And and that to me just it breaks my heart because to to see somebody who's already struggling and to be vulnerable enough and to be courageous enough to say publicly, "Hey, I'm struggling." And this is an issue of my personal health and well-being, but it's also a per, it was an issue of safety for her. Yes. Um and and to have somebody to say to say that she's a disgrace is such an ignorant thing to say. I hope that there are less of those comments and more of what I'm hearing and seeing is people saying, finally, finally, women are being given a right to take care of themselves and prioritize their own health. Because so long, there's this other narrative that exists for women specifically that we need to put everybody else in our lives first. And so for Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka, they live in a world where mental health is labeled a particular way being a woman you know there's a particular narrative there as well and thank god that she stepped up and said you know i need to do this for me and my health and not put everybody else's expectations of me first it sounds like you you think that biles and osaka both handled their individual challenges the right way from a public perspective osaka's anxiety dealt with off-the-court responsibilities while Biles was described as something that was happening in competition and, as you say, could have led to physical injury. You think just by speaking up and saying, hey, I'm in a bad spot right here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek out help, that was the right way to go about this? Well, I don't know that there's a right way, and I, and I hate to put that pressure on them or any other athletes to say that there's a right way or a wrong way, because I think just by speaking about it at all is important, and it's the first step, right? And so I think, I wouldn't say right, I wouldn't use that term per se, but I'm grateful that they okay. that they spoke out about it, that they um, used the term mental health and that they talked about prioritizing their own health. Because let's be clear too, like all aspects of health are related, right? So while I say Simone Biles had an issue here of safety perhaps, well, in so many ways, so did Naomi Osaka, right? Because when your mental health is suffering, then other aspects of your health are also gonna be suffering. These things are connected. They're not, they don't operate in vacuums, right? And so anytime you're putting yourself out into a, um, an elite sport environment or any sport environment and your mental health isn't good, you're, you're 
health and well-being are at risk. Have you watched and noticed that many have criticized Osaka in particular in the wake of her withdrawals from the French Open and Wimbledon because she appeared on magazine covers and she did documentaries and there are a lot of people out there that are saying, wait, hold on a second. We thought she was struggling. Well, criticism followed that. What do you say to that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's ignorance around uh, mental health, and she has every right to put herself out in the media in a way where she is in control, mm-hmm. and it's her choice, and that's that's her body, that's her identity, that's, that's her life experience. So we shouldn't be judgmental of her making choices to put herself out there if she wants to be. And when she chooses not to be, we all sh- should be respectful of that. You know, who are we to say when she's you know when she does and doesn't want to be in the spotlight that that's that is up to her as we begin to hopefully inch our way back to our our normal pre-pandemic selves i've read lots written about the trail of mental challenges that COVID has left behind not the least of which is our work lives became overlapping for lack of a better word with our home life and being able to compartmentalize is now very, very important. Also, the leadership of our companies and, and those in senior positions, how they deal with all of this is going to be become something that we, we place under the microscope. Yeah, I, I just hope that people are more and more willing to open up when they're struggling um, because there's help out there. And sometimes even just talking about it is all the help you need just to take that weight off of your shoulders and realize that you're not alone um, is really the first step. And I think by having more and more athletes or people in high profile positions mm-hmm. being willing to prioritize their own mental health by willing to start having these conversations, whether it's with your employees with your family, with your friends, whoever it may be, um, the more of those conversations we have, the better it'll be, hopefully to break some of that stigma and to provide a voice to the human experience and, and human health in a way that we haven't before. But how our bosses accept and respond to those types of decisions which feel risky to us is going to go a yeah. long way in deciding how this thing, the, kind of the, the domino effect of this thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it, it has to. It always has to start on top. Whenever we're talking about cultural change, it, ha- the, it has to be something that is accepted from the top and feeds down. Because if, let's say, as an employee, I go to my supervisor and I tell them, listen, I'm struggling with my mental health. I need to take a step back or I just need to have you aware of this even, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. And, and if in any way that is frowned upon or if there is um, anything is questioned or if I'm in, in any way, I'm not feeling supported in that moment, that that's a danger. Right. Because that's basically shutting down. That's shutting the door right there and, and stopping that person from getting any kind of help. Um, so supervisors absolutely have to be able to just be in those moments, not have to fix things. But just listen, empathy, empathy. have empathy. Yeah, yeah. just yeah. just listen. You don't have to fix yeah. things, but listen and be open and be supportive and also recognize uh, that it's OK in those moments if you're feeling vulnerable. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people fall short is that 
they don't want to go there because they're afraid of what that could mean for them and recognizing maybe their own personal struggles. Correct. Um, because again, it's something that we all experience. And I don't know why for so long we've been afraid to talk about it because when we do talk about it, we realize that people actually in most cases I found they will accept you and love you more because you're finally being human and you're connecting on a human level. Dr. Rebecca Businich of St. Catherine University in St. Paul, Minnesota. Thank you so much for being on Mitch Unfiltered. We appreciate it. We hope we can call upon you again. <laughs> Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I've been teasing a big announcement for weeks here on Mitch Unfiltered from my main man, Jordan Flowers, J-Flow, and his Kirkland Mortgage team. I can wait no longer. Our listeners can wait no longer. No more teasing. Jordan Flowers joins us now to tell us what's up. Hi, Jordan. Lay the news on us. Hey, Mitch. Hey, phenomenal job keeping things quiet here the last couple of weeks, but setting out a tease. My entire Kirkland team, including my production team, myself, have moved to cross-country mortgage a powerhouse in the mortgage business a little bit larger than even the previous company we were at and we are excited to be here <laughs> cross-country mortgage now is the place but it's the same old team what does that mean for mitch unfiltered listeners in terms of service you know it's an opportunity for everybody here to just take service to the next level with the clients control more of the process from start to finish quick return times more products for both our clients and our our partners, financial advisors, real estate agents, to offer more buying opportunities and refinance opportunities for them. So everybody here is excited. And rates are dropping. Rates are dropping. Yes. The Fed kind of put in this silly little half adjuster uh, late last year that impacted refinancing. They got rid of that about a Friday ago. So rates are actually back down into the mid to upper twos on refinances. So anybody that thought they might have missed out on a 30-year fix in the twos, now might be the opportunity and time to give us a call. How's the old team feeling about your entire group changing teams? Well, you know, I love everybody back there and <laughs> they were, they've been great to me and they got great things still to come. Uh, they will be missed. They will be missed. And hopefully uh, I am missed. Rates are dropping. They are still the same old team that gets you the best numbers on a refinance or a new purchase. No longer the old guys now cross country mortgage and Jordan flowers team and the phone number where we find you, Jordan, Jordan's still the same, the same cell phone, right? That cell phone will not change. 425-890-2957. Cross Country Mortgage, a new and terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, it's financial trivia time with Katie Versio, senior financial planner for our partner at Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. I think I may have embarrassed myself with an 0 for 3 performance the last time. I'm ready to do better. Is there a theme to this? Yes, the theme today, it's a mid-year market update. Okay. I figured it'd be good to just check in. Okay. There's been a lot of movement and just see where things are. Okay, I'm ready. Question number one. All right, let's see how closely you've been paying attention to the market. The first one is an easy one. It's a true or false. Value stocks are outperforming growth stocks this year. I'll say true. Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for the last... 10 years or so, growth has really outperformed. Those names like Amazon, Facebook, Google have really been doing well. And this year, we've seen a little bit of a trend reversal. Some of those tech names have struggled earlier this year and value has outperformed. Okay, 
Question number two, I'm one for one. All right, so the next one is about inflation. So this is a very hot topic in the market today. What is the current one-year inflation rate from June 2020 to June 2021? So how much okay. have the cost of goods and services in the economy grown over that one-year period? Okay. Is it 1%, 2.5%, 4.6%, or 5.5%? Clearly, it's over four. The question is, is it over five? I'll go C, four point, what was it? 4.6%, I think he gave me at C. Yes, yeah, so that's actually incorrect. Uh. It's D, 5.4%. So this is a huge number, it hasn't been seen since 2008. Costs and goods and services have really been increasing. This is a big trend that our investment team is watching and we're really have been over the last six months or so repositioning portfolios to adjust for this new trend we're seeing. All right, still a chance for me to go 667, Katie. Lay number three on me. In 2021, what's the best performing asset class so far? Is it real estate investment trusts, energy, large cap stocks, or financial stocks? Well, I think it's large cap stocks. Is that not right? I'm sorry, Mitch, that is incorrect. Uh. Most years, it is large cap stocks, and all of these asset classes have performed well, but the top performing asset class is energy this year. It's up over 40%. I'm sure your listeners probably experience that when they go to get gas. We sure do. Well, 0 for 3 last time, 1 for 3. I'm moving in the right direction. We love Katie Versio. We love Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. Episode 153, other stuff segment. You want to start or you want me to start? Go ahead. Josh Allen. Yes. Quarterback. Yes. Buffalo Bills. Really good. Extension. Nice. We're going to talk money here in the first part of the other stuff segment. Okay. He has uh, agreed to a six-year extension. He will make, do you want to, do you know the number? No. He will make over the next six years, if all goes swell, he will make $258 million over the next six years. <sighs> Hold to on. play quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. I'm doing the math. Hold on. Do you don't have to do the math. Okay. I'll help you out with it. Thank you. 40 and change. Okay. 42, $43 million a year average annual salary. Tom Brady, pretty good. He's okay. 21 seasons in the National Football League. If you added up all of the salary. Okay. $263 million. <laughs> Josh Allen is going to make over the next wow. six years essentially the exact same amount as Tom Brady has made over his 21-year NFL career, and Tom Brady's made a lot in endorsements. I'm, that's right, not right, the right. point. The point. Yeah. $258 million over six years for Josh Allen, and he's really, really good. We all know that. Yeah, he's really I'm good. I'm not saying he's not worth it, but boy, oh boy. That's a lot of cash. I read another one. I read it, an NBA player, Jimmy Butler, and I was looking at it, and I was like, is this a typo? Four-year, $184 million. Oh, but that's not even the best one. I know, but that's just a just that's not even close. That was just to the a small one. little story. Jimmy that Butler, I, yeah, that was that, that's a throwaway. Forty-six million dollars a year is a throwaway story. That's like, a throwaway. Good God, the money's out of if control. If you want to do money, I got one best for you, and it's <laughs> Steph Curry. Okay. Did you have you seen have you seen the breakdown of Steph Curry's new extension? No. Okay. Steph Curry in twenty two twenty three. So I guess this next season is going to be what twenty one twenty two. So yes. I guess he's got one more year left to probably. 40 something probably 45 million so put the 45 million away that he's going to make in 21 22 okay. in 21 22 and let's start with 22 23 
He's going to make $48,070,014 in 22-23. Can I just have the 14? You can have the $14. Thank you. In the following season, he's going to make $51,915,615. In the third season of the contract, he's going to make $55,761,217. And in the fourth and final year of the contract, by the way, I believe he'll be 36 or something like that. (laughs) $59,606,818. And I know you're wondering, Mitch, what is $59,606,818? Well, per game, oh, no. it's $728,000 a game. Every single game to go play a basketball game. Right. And not Steph even the Curry. whole game. I mean, you'll and take he breaks. he has a lot and... of fun yeah, oh, yeah. during the warm-ups, doing his little thing and shooting from three quarters. Every single game that he plays, every game that he doesn't play, right? $728,000. When you put your car in park at the stadium, that's $728,000 you're walking that's into. exactly right. Gosh. He plays 34 minutes a game right now. By the time we get to 25, 26, when he's making $60 million, let's say he's playing 30 minutes a game. Right. $24,266 a minute. <laughs> $24,000 a minute? $24,000 every minute Ugh. played, which means $405 every second. I'd be looking at my watch ah. the whole game. There you go. There was five seconds. It took you five seconds to say that. Yeah. He would have made um, $2,000 right there. <laughs> God, it's incredible. $405 every second. Ah. Another four hundred bucks. Four hundred five. Four hundred five. Four hundred five. Four hundred five. Every single second. Amazing. Steph Curry. I'm not saying Steph Curry isn't worth it. I don't know. Yeah. By the way, at the end of that contract, he'll be something like 36 years old. Yeah. He will have made in his NBA career. Are you ready? Oh, gosh. I just told you that Tom Brady in his 21-year NFL career. Around 250. Has made $250 million. 21 years of the greatest quarterback of all time. Right. 21 years. This would be what, like 10 or 12 years for Curry? Maybe 12 or 14 years for Curry? Yeah. He will have made $470,090,012 in total salary earnings in his NBA career at the end of this contract. 470 million smackers. And I just saw a commercial with him at Subway as I was watching the Olympic game. Who knows what he's made with endorsements? I a mean, lot. Forget about it. A I mean, lot. To play basketball. That guy. Insane. Amazing. Yep. Amazing. And then anyway. he, he refuses to represent his country in the Olympics, too. He should be forced to, to go at least Did once. He, he never went? I don't think he's ever played in the Olympics. How is that? Don't they all want to do it one time and get you a would, gold and then never do it again? You'd think. I thought that's the way they do that. I, you would think, but... Like, eh. Zach Levine doesn't want to do it again, does he? From Bothell? He wants to come home to Bothell. He wants to come home. He wants to come home to Bothell. I don't Bothell. know if we needed Zach to be there in the first place, <laughs> to be honest with you. I like the guy, but, you know, he didn't really do a whole lot. But no. O.J. Simpson says he has such a tough battle with COVID last year. Yeah. He was worried he was going to die, explaining the virus made it nearly impossible for him to catch his breath. But he he now says, thankfully, he was able to recover and says he's grateful for it, explaining he's loving his life out of prison in Las Vegas. And he's scared to go to L.A. because he... He thinks the real killer's there, and he's scared that, that the killer's yeah, going to get it. I got him. it on my list. He actually spoke with his children, first of all, of, about final arrangements. He thought he was on the yeah. the doorstep of death. But, yes, he's explained in that same interview, an athletic interview, 
that he's troubled being in LA. He can't go to in LA. He can't go to LA because he's concerned that Nicole Brown Simpson's killer yeah. could still be there. His quote was, "People may think this is self-serving, but I don't know. I might be sitting next to whoever did it." And I could promise you that he'd be sitting at the same table as the person <laughs> right. who yeah, did it. He's right. Forget said it. Yeah, he's sitting very close to that person. <laughs> yeah. Yes. After I read yes. that he's he's loving his life, yeah. you know, outside of, and, and I was like, turns out Nicole Brown Simpson and Ron Goldman are still dead. Yes, they are. Like, God, what? Is, and he's just gallivanting around, playing and, golf, uh, doing his doing his uh, Twitter thing. I'm just saying. Yeah, that's his thing. I'm just saying. Uh, By the way, Kevin Durant, 42 million next season, and then four years, 200 million the following (laughs) four. Kawhi Kawhi Leonard says he's going to stay with the Clippers. Here's a good one. You know the NFL preseason is upon us. Did you watch the other night the preseason opener, the NFL Hall of Fame game between the Cowboys and the Steelers? No, I meant to. Did you know that they were playing? No. I mean, I I knew the game happens at that time, but it's the first game. Yeah, yeah. In case you need to know how big the NFL still remains here in the United States, comparatively speaking, to the other sports, (laughs) somebody wrote that 20% more people bet on the Cowboys-Steelers preseason game than the highest bet baseball game the same night, which happened to be the Mariners against the Yankees. So the Mariners and Yankees was the highest bet game on the entire Major League Baseball schedule. Yeah. And the preseason opener <laughs> blew it away at Caesars <laughs> Caesars Palace. Yeah. The preseason NFL Hall of Fame game. Right. Where like guys that will never play in the NFL play. 20% more people bet on that game than on any baseball. Betting on a... On a, a, a That's how big the game. NFL game, the, the NFL is. They just print money. They That's just, it. I mean, people Crazy. love it. And we've talked about how we look at it a little differently with the yeah. hits and all that. Yeah. Yeah, we love it too, and we'll watch every single minute that we can. Absolutely. Ugh. Scouting fantasy football players and what am I going to do in the draft? Yeah, right, and, I mean... But people are wagering on this thing. How could you even, like, handicap that No, you game? can't. It's just a guess, you right? You can't. You can't at all. Yeah. Right, okay. Uh, Andrew Dice Clay, you see this weird story? Yeah, he's got Bell's palsy, right? Yeah, Bell's palsy. Um, his dog... Uh, do people know what that is? He you notices... Know, half of your face goes... goes uh, yeah, paralyzed, it, it droops. Right? Yeah, it, like paralyzed. He, right. he thought he suffered a stroke, but he yeah. didn't. And his doctor said he th- his doctor thinks that it's not permanent and it should subside in a few weeks. He's already performing with the condition. He talked yep. about it on stage and didn't cancel any upcoming gigs. So, Vanessa Bryant, yeah, has settled a what they call disgraceful lawsuit with her mother. Yeah, I saw that. Her mother sued her in the wake of the death of Kobe Bryant her husband, and the mother's son-in-law, by the way. She claimed to be a longtime personal assistant and nanny for Vanessa and Kobe Bryant and that she was never paid for her her first, for her services despite promises. Right. And then Kobe did, she claims Kobe said, I'll take care of you the rest of your life. Okay, we're talking about her taking care of her grandchildren, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> am, I, am I missing something? Well, you know, she wants to be compensated for her time. Do it's most a lot of work. grandmas want to be compensated for taking care of their grandchildren? I, I what am I missing here? Something tells me there was also some help around the house. Probably. Yes. 
Vanessa says she has no regard for how this is affecting my children and me, the death of her husband. She wants to live off of my daughters and me for the rest of her life while continuing to collect monthly alimony from her ex-husband since 2004. My husband and I never discouraged or kept her from providing for herself. This lawsuit is frivolous, disgraceful, and unimaginably hurtful. My husband never promised my mother anything, and he would be so disappointed in her behavior, behavior and lack of empathy. That one stings. That he would be so disappointed in her. How? The yeah. mom, the mom suing the daughter. I, I'm. I just wonder that if for for not paying her to I, take care of her grandkids for yeah. looking over her grandkids. I don't know. Don't most grandparents like that's what they live yes, for? Yes, that's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's you the whole point. Crap. I don't get this. This whole thing, this whole story, I don't get. But I mean, you would think that just if she just would have not sued her and just said, "Hey, I'm going to move into the house for a while to help you out." You probably would have been better off in the long run, right? I mean, she's going to take care of you. It's her mom. This this weird $200,000 cash grab, which isn't even like set for life type money, right? It's The whole story is so bizarre. Really weird. Yeah. Yeah. All right. For the third time in the last 14 months, Ezekiel Elliott is being sued over an alleged dog biting incident. He can't. This is the third time that he's been. What su- kind of dogs? Is he have pit bulls or he's, something? Yeah. Well, he's. He's got like a he's got a bunch of different ones. I, I think Rottweilers too. Okay. Okay. But in the new lawsuit, uh, Jennifer Gamper claims she's one of Elliot's neighbors and says in, on May twentieth, two thousand twenty-one, she was attacked by one of his dogs near his Frisco, Texas area home. She claims that while the company Perfect Synthetic Grass, which she's also suing, yeah. was performing landscaping work at the residence, that's when Elliot's dog uh, escaped the house and attacked her. And the suit says she suffered severe and permanent injuries, but Ooh. doesn't get more specific. She's asking for monetary relief of $1 million, a little over $1 million. He's got to figure out a way to get these dogs under control. <laughs> I would say so. This is not, the, like I said, three times. Like, and one of the people that was attacked, I think was his pool, his pool employee. I remember that. Like I someone who's familiar that. with yeah. the dogs are, yeah. should be familiar with. Yeah. He's going after that poor person. Yeah, he's got to figure this out. He's going to go broke with these lawsuits. Paul Allen's super yacht Octopus. Ever heard of it? Of course. It sold. Real Tom Brady. No, no, not <laughs> right. <laughs> the last one wasn't quite big enough. Uh, it finally sold after being listed for nearly three hundred million dollars. Oh Eight decks, including a dedicated owner's deck with private elevator, full deck for entertainment, including cinema, gym, spa, observation lounge, and basketball court on the deck below. Cinema. He had a glass-bottomed underwear. Uh, underwear. Woo! Glass-bottomed underwater observation lounge. A bridge deck pool and pizza oven. <laughs> Why is that so funny? A pizza so, oven. Storage for seven tenders, two helicopters, oh two s- submersibles, and a large SUV, two helipads, a dive center, and a hyperbaric chamber. Good God. $300 million Paul Allen's estate finally got for his, his boat. Okay, the $300 million question is, who the hell bought it? Do we know? I did know, but I don't know that I recognize the name, okay. so it didn't mean Some anything to billionaire me. Somebody that never heard along. of yeah. bought it. Yeah. It's been Ugh. for sale for a long time, maybe since his death. Yeah, so. I, remember, I remember when he bought it. I remember hearing about that. I am not ever buying a yacht without a pizza oven. <laughs> I know, that's okay? it. <laughs> Every odd yacht has to have a pizza oven. It's funny when I hear like, people like Tom Brady and these, these people talk about their yachts. Yeah. Mm, you haven't really seen a yacht yet, Tom Brady. I mean, look at this thing. Go take a look at Octopus. It's a city on the water. It's just yeah. a moving city, right? Yeah. A Glass-bottomed and- underwater <laughs> observation lounge. I can't even say that. Can you say like a deep deep sea diving bell or whatever yes. it's called? Jesus. He does love that. He's fascinated with that kind of stuff with, you know, going on. I don't know. If it's, 
I would 300 to, million. I would love to just be on it for like a week. Just let me have a week with it. <laughs> you probably get lost. Do you need a full week? Yeah. All right, Charlie Watts, the oldest member of the Rolling Stones. Yep. He's going to have to sit out their upcoming U.S. tour on the advice of the experts that he this was going to take a while. He had a procedure done. He's been with the band since their inception in 1962. The good news, Watts' medical procedure is said to have been a complete success. Just uh. needs some time to heal. Um, but he did have kind of a funny line. He said, this is uh, one time in my life where uh, I had bad timing. Because he's a drummer, his timing's perfect. Yeah, yeah that's pretty funny, I thought. <laughs> um, anyway, I remember hearing about the Stones 1981 farewell tour. <laughs> 40 years later, touring again. So if you planned on seeing the Stones, don't be surprised when Charlie Watts is not there. Our buddy Bryson DeChambeau is back in the news again. The big bulky guy. Kind of the big bulky guy. The Good. guy who's always in trouble saying something stupid. Yeah. Remember when he... He had to withdraw from the uh, the Olympics for not getting vaccinated. And he said, I told right. you a couple of shows ago, he said, I don't feel badly about that because I don't want to take vaccinations from somebody who needs them. That's right. Even <laughs> though there's no shortage and we're being called a QFC for vaccinations. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he's in trouble because he didn't yell for oh. twice in the uh, in the most recent FedEx St. Jude Classic. And he... he is he known for kind of being wild at times? Well, he's or? wild because he hits it so far. Right. So when okay. he hits it, but according to his uh, fellow golfers Richard Bland and Eduardo Amalinari, okay, uh, he uh, he hit the ball into the stands and into the fans a couple of different times, and he doesn't even yell four, and that's disrespectful to the game because the least you could do is yell four when right. you spray it. Yeah. So now he's in trouble for that. That could really hurt. No question. I mean, a four hundred from him. Yeah, four hundred yard drive coming at your temple. Yeah, I'll pass. Can I? Can I at least get a warning? Yeah, right. That it's coming, incoming. Jeez. You know. So, uh, so Bryson DeChambeau is is on everybody's shit list again. Nice. He just can't get off that no, list, can no, he? No, he can't. God, I need to start watching this golf. This Bryson guy sounds DeChambeau. interesting. <laughs> All right, a sealed copy of Super Mario Brothers. You've heard of that game, at yes, least. Yes, I have. All right, a sealed copy for the NES system sold for two million dollars. Breaking a record for video game sales that was set less than a month earlier, uh, the I think it was a oh it was a Super Mario sixty four sold for one point five six million. So when you get home to your to your mom's, go through all your old crap. If you have a, a sealed, how many times do I have to tell you the same thing? <laughs> yeah, I know. You had you had the pong and that was pong it. and that was it. <laughs> we weren't allowed. No when Atari. He, when he when he got us Pong, yeah. when he got me Pong from Sears, right? He said, "Now look, I bet you there's going to be some other stuff that come out down the line. You want this? You can have it, but this is the last one you ever get." So until I had my own kids, I wasn't able to have another video. So there's going to be no Super Mario. <laughs> okay, I, all I right. promise you, there's going to be no Super Mario. All right. How about a list of foods that's going to be at the Minnesota State Fair that kicks off less less than two weeks? We got some new new food items. Why do we need to know about the Minnesota State Fair? Well, the, some of these foods are insane. Yeah. Like the buffalo chicken doskit. I can't even say it. It's com it's I don't know what that is. A donut and a biscuit combination. Okay, it's a biscuit style donut filled with shredded chicken and topped with buffalo icing Ooh. and bacon bits. <laughs> I'm telling you, these fair food they're going crazy. All right, the waffle burger, essentially a cheeseburger with two candied waffles in place of the buns. I don't know if any of these sound good to you. No, it's just sugary sweet. But it's, go ahead. It's insane. I can't even. The spoofle puff, a fried treat containing sweetened cream cheese oh and mashed potatoes <laughs> served with maple <laughs> dipping sauce. God damn. 
What are we trying to do? Are we just trying to kill ourselves oh, with food? God. Although I, I do love going to the fair. I do love trying some of these crazy food items, but it's fun to look at all these. Does the Washington State Fair do the crazy food items or not? Not really. Not really. No. They, they, they have a deep the elephant fried. elephant ears, they but, do. But they have a booth that's deep fried everything. So oh, if do. you want the pickles or the Oreos, but that's probably about as crazy. Um, I got the deep fried butter one time there. Deep fried butter? Have you had that? No. Okay, so they take like a, a really, it has to be cold, a really cold piece of butter, like a little uh, little ball. Yeah. Then they put dough, and they dip it in the dough, and they throw it in the fryer, and then the dough cooks around the butter, and you take a bite of it, and it's just melted butter just comes <laughs> squirting out all over your face. Goddamn lava. <laughs> That sounds really healthy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly what my nutritionist thinks that That's I should right. have. That's right. Deep fried butter Deep fried on butter. the list. And yeah. you've tried it. Yeah, I took a bite. And I threw it away. the whole thing away. I just couldn't do it. And I love butter. Is it butter. a big thing? Well, no, you get like six little pieces, like oh six little God. balls oh of it. I was God. like, what am I doing? I had to try it though, right? You got to try oh it. Oh my God. Well, they better hope that uh, Jake Gillenhall doesn't show up to the uh, to the fair. Do you remember Jake Gill? You know the name Jake Gillenhall? Yeah, I think it's Gillenhall. Is it Gyllenhaal? I think so, yeah. He's got a sister that's in the... Okay, so he's Jake great Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. Oh, really? No, he's really a good actor. He has become the latest celebrity hotshot, Scott, to shun bathing. <laughs> okay. Shun it? This has become a big thing now. Don't say this too loud in this household. More and more, he says, I find bathing to be less necessary. There's a whole world of not bathing that is also... Really helpful for skin maintenance, he says. There's a growing number of people in the celebrity community who are now have decided, I, I, I think Ashton Kutcher might be one, Mila Kunis might be one, Jake Gyllenhaal apparently is one. I think Brad Pitt, not known for showering. Really? He's known to have a funk, yeah. Been lots of stories about the way okay. he smells. Okay. Now, look, I lean more towards the, the non... I'm kind of with... I'm with him more than I think you probably would be. Oh, my God. That's disgusting. Well, I wash my hair probably three times a year. Maybe. Well, actually more because they wash it when I get it cut. Yeah. And that, that might be the only time I wash it. Unless I'm like... You don't wash your hair. I never I never do. Unless I'm weed eating and dusty okay, and well, dirt. All right. So I'm, I'm kind of with that's him. That's gross on its own. On <laughs> but it's not gross. I mean, it's not that gross, I do though. put water on the it The idea of not bathing to me is far... We have a far bigger list of okay. problems <laughs> all right, than fine. you washing your hair. I mean, come on. How do you smell a day and a half after bathing? How do you smell? You don't smell good. Well, I mean, it depends and on what you're you do, doing. And if you do, then you got to tell me what you're doing because I, I need to know. Now, look, if it's if it's the winter and it's cold outside and you're never really sweating, you don't need to shower every single day. You're not working in a coal mine, you know, with dirt all over your forehead. Look, my wife and I have this. I don't know. I can't stand myself two days after a shower. Really? Yeah. I, I never, ever, ever, ever go a day without shower. <laughs> at about five, I get a little bummed at myself. I think five is my, my limit. Okay. I never go a day without showering. Yeah. That's and my, there my are, wife. And there are, and there are plenty of days that I shower twice. But, plenty of days. Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. Well, of if that. I get up, let's say I get up and I, I, I always shower in the morning. I always shower in the morning before I do anything. Okay. Okay. If I get up and I shower in the morning and then let's say I go work out. Right. Or sometimes I'll work out before I shower so that my shower is after the workout. Yeah. But let's say I shower in the morning and then I decide I'm going to go play golf. Okay. And I walk 18 holes and I carry my clubs and I'm schwitzing the whole 18 holes. Yeah. You think I'm then coming home, not showering and going to sleep that way? How can I Really? Yeah, sure. Why not? Oh, my God. You can't, oh my you can't God. do it? Maybe I'm just grosser than everybody else. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. But There's no way that I could I could play a round of golf 
and, and walk and then somehow go to bed that night wow. without ever having showered. No, no possible way. Huh. I don't have that problem. I could totally Really? Go, yeah, oh, I my could. God. I would just reek. We went to Arizona. I would, sm- I, would just, I would not be able to sleep. And then I would be sticky. I'd be sticking to the sheets. I mean, it would be terrible. Nah. You'd, be, you'd be surprised. Once really? You, once you cool off, you're good. Do you think most people go days without showering? I don't think most people go days. I think people. I think people overbathe themselves. I think most people. Go That's shower what he's saying here. That's yeah. what Jake Gyllenhaal is saying. Yeah, like my, my wife will you scrub the face. It's like, dude, you're not 13 with acne anymore. Why are you scrubbing your face all the time? But she, she can't. She loves it. Loves all the face stuff and the shower and the hair. You know, strip all. But, okay, the, okay, but we're talking about taking a shower. Yeah, now. no, I know, but this is all part of the overbathing thing. Like, if you shower, that should be enough. You don't then need to go wash your face oh before God. bed, do you? I don't know. We were in Arizona yes, for a week. Yes, if you're wearing makeup all day, yes, you do. But you just showered. Trust me, when I wear makeup all day. I, <laughs> right. I, <laughs> it, when we were in Arizona for a week, I, I showered once in the week. But then I, but then I, I remember we're flying the next day, so I showered that night. So I showered twice in a week in Arizona. But that is I, disgusting. But I was in the pool. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's another reason. It's got <laughs> chemicals and all kinds of chlorine and stuff all over you. You have to. That's that. That's the first thing we learn when you take a shower. Yeah. When, you, when you go in the pool. I can't go more than like five days. I'm I'm not him, but I I do kind of go that way. I'm, really? I'm I'm definitely not the shower every day. Really. In the summer, I shower more, I think, because it's just hotter. But like but in the winter, sh- oh my god! In the winter, when it's freezing cold out and you don't you don't sweat ever, oh it's like god. I don't I don't know. I didn't know I, that this that people like you existed. Yeah, I mean, d- do you need it? I don't know. Unless you just enjoy the process of showering, I don't really enjoy it. Like you know, some people like it. I'm just like, eh, I don't need it. I don't know that I like it or dislike it. I probably like <laughs> yeah, it. You probably like it. I kind of like it. It's relaxing for some people. Yeah, I like to get the the, the water into my ear. <laughs> I like to do that thing and what? then turn the yeah. I get, right. If I get a stream, if I can just get the right stream and get it right down there in the ear. No, I I, I kind of like showering, but it's not about that. Okay, it's about not liking myself when I don't shower. Like I can I can feel a difference. I can smell a difference. I don't like I, I don't like being around me, and it's tough not to be around me. I'm always around <laughs> me. I can't right. I can't get rid of myself. <laughs> All right. I don't like being around me when I don't shower. I and I can I I just it's a bad feeling. Everything about it. Everything huh. about it. I'm surprised to hear this. From me? Yeah, from anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, unless I have like dirt on me, I don't think I should need to shower every day. Okay. Now, sometimes like when I was doing um, like the morning show, it would help yeah. wake, wake me up in the morning a little yeah. bit. Yeah. So I would do it for you that. You ever purpose, exercise but... and not shower? I have. I've played like two and a half hours of basketball and come home and fell asleep. Like on the, and then I just get up off the couch and just go to bed. I'll just shower tomorrow. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm not weird about it. I, it doesn't bother me, but my my wife could never do that ever. <laughs> Rest in peace to Dennis <laughs> D. T. Thomas, founding member oh and my longtime God. saxophone player for a group called Cool and the Gang. Oh, were we yeah. just talking about them for some reason? I don't know if we were or not, but I've seen them in concert. Yeah, I think that's why we were talking about. No, them. I don't think so. But yeah, I have seen him in concert. You I like did. Cool okay. Yeah. Yeah. He was a founding member. He party going sax. on around here. Uh, he helped the band in the. Who knew they were around in the '60s? And he stayed with them ever since. He's been along for the ride through five decades plus. He was one of three founding members still alive before mm. he passed away. Now there are only two. Okay. Seventy years old. A lot of hits. You kind of forget that a lot of hits. People just know celebration. Yeah. Or celebrate whatever it's called. Yeah. Jungle Boogie was great. Ladies night. 
And a thing, right. yeah, that was it's, it's get late, down on it. Night. Oh, what a night! Oh, oh what, what a, a night! night. <laughs> sure, get down on it was another good get one. Get down on it, come on and get down. If you really want it, get down. On, <laughs> yeah. You gotta feel it. See? They got a lot of hits. Sure, you should do a podcast on them. Joanna was a big hit for them too. Joanna, yeah, I can't I, remember how that one went, but I know it was a big hit. Yeah. Anyway, rest in peace to Dennis D T Thomas. Okay, you're up. I'm done. Oh, you are. Yeah. Okay, I got one last one. Unless yeah. you want me to find sure. some more. Sure. Australian canoeist Jessica Fox found a perfectly stretchy waterproof material for a boat repair at the Tokyo Olympics. She used a condom to fix her boat. Fox, who won a bronze medal in women's kayak slalom and gold in the canoe slalom, posted a video on social media this week of someone making repairs to the nose of her boat. First, a gooey carbon mixture is applied before the condom is used to secure it in place. Very stretchy, much strong, the caption reads. The 27-year-old Fox is the world's top-ranked paddler in canoe and kayak and won the first women's canoe slalom race in Olympic history. Turns out in canoe and kayak racing, I didn't know this, they have a best-of-three competition. Jessica won the first one, lost the second one, but then won the rubber match. All's well that ends well. That could have been a really sticky situation. Uh... If I'd have known that unused condoms could help athletes, in college I'd have been a gold medalist. (laughs) And finally, I think a lot of people can relate to Jessica Fox because without a condom, without a condom, they too would have been up a creek without a paddle. Oh, Go see your mom. Is that a true story, by the way? Yes. I actually thought you were going to have that because you do, you know, yeah. sportsy stuff. <laughs> yes, I, I do. <laughs> I thought for sure you were going to have that. You're going to kill me. You're going to kill my whole last story. No, I've not seen that story. Yeah, crazy, right? And she won a medal. She's like the greatest ever to do it. Yeah, she won a gold. Yeah. All right, episode 153. We take a week off, and then we come back and get ready for the NFL season. Yep. I'm going to Florida to see my mom, 87 years young and still going somewhat strong. Post picture right. if, you, if, she, if she's into it. I will indeed. Good. Episode 153 in the books.